Hello and welcome to this Thursday, February 14th, 2019 edition of the Hagman Report. We are audio only tonight. Uh, if you can see that, we uh, uh, are minus tech Eric for the evening on this Valentine's Day 2019. We got a great show lined up for you today. We got uh, some good guests coming on as well as uh, news that we're going to cover, breaking news. Uh, very interesting from McCabe, the revelations of McCabe and what he wanted to do. Uh, with the conspiracy against President Trump. And we're also going to be talking to the managing editor of Media Research Center's Culture. Uh, Matthew is going to be joining us to talk about Hollywood's progressive bias and hatred for conservative people and views, as well as the increase of this hatred and the censorship on the other side, censoring the opposition to that progressive bias. Then at 8 o'clock, radio show host from WNTK, Keith Hansen, will be our guest. He's going to cover a wide range of issues from what we see happening with this budget deal to other political and uh, local and national political issues. And Peter Barry Chowka will join us. He had an interview lined up with John Barber, and we see that uh, he is going to wait until next Friday when we have the video feed <clears throat> back up. And uh, Dr. Ted and Austin will be our guests tomorrow night. So that will close out the week for us. But again, a great show for tonight. Now. I don't believe we are on Hagman Report Live at the moment. Um, Eric is going to post that as soon as the show is over. So you're going to have to go to the Blog Talk stream or Global Star Radio Network, uh, our flagship home for this show, the Hagman Report. And I'm posting a link on Twitter, Hagman Report Twitter right now. So for those of you who listening, I guess it doesn't make that much of a difference because you've already found the feed. But if you see this on Twitter, maybe retweet it so others can see where to find the feed. So let's jump right into the news. A few things I want to make sure we talk about in this first segment. One, <clears throat> we have two uh, issues here with the budget deal. The president saying he's going to declare a national emergency while signing the budget hey, deal. Hey, Joe, Joe, are you sure we're not on the high report live? I was just I was just trying to check this out here. I, uh, I want to make sure. No, I didn't check yet. Um, um because uh, you have to do something. You have to, um, the interface is not up on the, on the right. computer. We, and we apologize, folks, for any inconvenience this might cause. Um, I, I just want to make sure that we are, we're... I'm, I'm logging into it right now. So I'm looking see. at it right now as well. And um, no, we're, we're there. We're there. We, we, we've, got, uh, we, we've got a couple hundred people already uh, joining us there on Hagman Report Live. Well, good, because I was uh, thinking... Uh, you know, since we're not doing YouTube live anymore, no, no. if we, we're uh, good. We're yeah, good. okay, I see. We're it's good. good, perfect. Right. Um, that, that's, that, I, that's what I thought because um, I, when I spoke to, early, uh, to Eric earlier today, and he was in um, the studio, and we were messing around with. Uh, well, he was messing around. I wasn't, and he said, uh, "You know, we're all set for the audio, so we're good. We're good. Everything's all. Everything's good. All right. Yeah, um, I know you've got." A, You've got a stack of things going on here with respect to the news. Um, I, I yeah. just I just want to punch in real quick the bill that the president signed. I, did you happen to see that? Because I, this okay, needs did to he be, sign it yet? I see President will sign budget deal, um, uh, which this is yeah. another omnibus bill that uh, it's an appropriations bill or yeah. from the appropriations committee. And I just want to get this out of the way. Is this the article from Daniel Horowitz? Uh, no, this review? is actually no, no. Um, no, the this has gone back and forth like a ping pong ball all day long. Um, the latest news is that President Trump will sign a border security bill, and McConnell will support national security declaration. All right, now that's 
That's as of 3.12 p.m., and then there's back, some back and forth before that, after that. And he, But here's the bottom line. Here's what I want people to really know, um, it, it just real quick, because this kind of feeds into what you're going to be talking about. You've got a uniparty. You've got a deep state. You got, you've got uh, a number of people right now that are trying to create the United States of uh, Central America, okay, the United States of, of the S-hole countries. And through the, um, yeah, sorry, just calling it like I see it. Um, you want to make this a banana republic more than it already is post-Lois Lerner, not getting the um, justice that she deserves. And you want to elect people like uh, Alexandria, you know, occasional cortex or whatever uh, Savage calls her? Yeah, okay. Uh, you want to elect people or, or have people and, and clap for people like Drunken Seals, like that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, <laughs> and you want to listen to a bunch of uh, uh, morons out there talking about how how these things are. Well, here's it almost the makes you want to run for office, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's you know. The, I'll tell you what. To, I, I I called the White House today. I called the White House today, and in fact, on my personal Twitter feed, I urge everyone to do so. I, I called the White House, and, and this is the first time I I, I did this through the. Uh, front door channels of of you know yeah uh, and you I said him? look I, I I gave him my name gave him my address I gave him my phone number uh, and I said uh, I said who I was and I said I don't want uh, President Trump to sign the appropriations bill because you look at section first of all it's five thousand roughly five thousand pages five thousand pages all right yeah we have the details on that. Um, and this says uh, the, this from Daniel Horowitz. Before getting into the details of this crazy omnibus bill, it's important to recognize that we don't understand all the details. The worst provisions are written in vague language, encoursed in a 1169-page bill, which already has been posted online on two different versions. The first was 10 pages shorter. That is exactly why Democrats are salivating to vote on this within a few hours of passage, which is exactly why Trump has a responsibility to oppose it immediately and demand at least a short-term cleanup continuing resolution so that he can digest the consequences of the bill. If he cannot make that simple demand, which would not even trigger a phony shutdown, then his presidency is worthless. Now, it goes on to say... Okay, so I like Dana Horowitz. Say that again. I mean, go ahead and repeat that entire segment again. Well... Or Before getting into the, the, the details of the bill, he says this basically 1,200-page bill has been put together so fast that nobody's had time to read it and that Trump has a responsibility as president to immediately oppose it at the very minimum demanding a short-term, clean, continuing resolution which would not trigger a government shutdown to digest the consequences of this bill. If he cannot make that simple demand – then his presidency is worse. all right. I'm kind of I somewhat agree with him. I, I think if we had him on, you know, him and I would talk. But well, it goes on. Right. The process is indefensible. It is immoral from any ideological <laughs> perspective to vote on a 1,200 page omnibus bill right. with new provisions on immigration amid a border crisis. We already have four and a half months into a fiscal year and have been operating on stopgap bills. There is no rush to vote on something like this, which will fund seven departments for the remainder of the year. Within a few hours when we should have another stopgap bill while we debate and even discover the contents of this long-term bill that makes important statutory changes. The only reason one would pursue this process is to hide things from the American people. All right, all right. All right. Here are our okay. immediate issues to go flag. Ahead, and then go ahead. Through. Well, if you want to name a couple, well, fine. I'll just – there's uh, paragraphs under each one, but we'll just list them as they're numbered. One, less of a wall 
than even what Democrats already agreed to. Correct. Two, liberal local officials have veto power over the wall. Correct. Three, this contains a blanket amnesty for the worst cartel smugglers in the site section 224A. And note section 321 as well in this bill. I I may have added some hyperbole when I said 5,000 pages, but you get the idea. It's a a stalking stuffer of a bill. And then this one, four, more funding to manage and induce the invasion rather than to deter it. That's probably one of the most uh, important ones. And then five, doubling low-skilled workers. And then that's not on this list here. The one that I read from yesterday is Planned Parenthood is going to be receiving almost $2 billion in taxpayer money, more than what is even being allocated for the border wall. That in itself is a reason I believe Trump should not sign it at all. Okay, and and um, and by the way, no one should be surprised that this uh, the Council on American Islamic Relations has already condemned the border wall emergency declaration uh, yeah. as abuse of executive authority. Now, well, let me pull back that. for a second. But hold on, see, here's what. Uh, just I hope everyone takes a deep breath right now because I the president of the United States within that bill. And you've got to, if you haven't, the, the, the bill is up, where is it, you, um, uh, the .gov site, the uh, house.gov, or one of those sites. I, I looked at it today, and I was reading through it. Section 321 is extremely critical to understand. And let me see if I, I took some notes here, and I printed pages out. I, the problem is they're just not in any order. But here's what people need to really, just take a deep breath, because remember this, folks. Under the executive branch, you have various provisions, including the U.S. Code, uh, 10 U.S.C., Section 2808. So let me repeat that section, and write this down if you want, 10 U.S.C. 2808. If President Trump declares a national emergency or an act of war or whatever, a national emergency in this case, Construction authority is automatically granted regardless. Now, okay. Okay, how does that play into what Horowitz said is that the Democrats will have veto power over border wall or is the Democratic power uh, short he's not wrong. the presidential authority that is going to be used to enact the national emergency? Okay, he's not wrong because uh, what this bill is or what this, um, yeah, what this appropriation bill is doing is – Shoving it up, uh, President Trump's, and uh, by the way, yours and mine, you know, back ends sideways and twisting it. Um, and and of course we can thank Schumer and Pelosi for this, but we can also look a little bit suspiciously at McConnell as well. All right, but um, the inside the bill, there is a a statement that says there's no other law that can circumvent this, essentially creating a line-item veto prohibition. I don't know how many people really understood what I just said. I'm not sure I understood what I just said, but basically what this bill is saying is you you can't pick and choose from this bill. It's all or nothing, and there's no circumventing the provisions of this appropriations bill. Uh, for example, via executive uh, authority and, and national um, uh, national emergencies, how or or via ten USC uh, what did I say ten USC twenty eight oh eight, all right, which allows right USC uh, ten USC twenty eight oh eight. Now, um, so the issue here, 
I believe, after looking at this, is to tie this up in the courts. Okay. Okay. That's kind of um, – Excuse me. Um, because 10 U.S.C. T- uh, Section 2808 says that – and I'm quoting directly from this, this section – not otherwise authorized by law that are necessary to support such use of the armed forces. In other words, the President of the United States can build a wall with funding even if another law says that he cannot do so. So when you start pulling this apart uh, and you see that Pelosi and her cohorts and the progressive snake vipers crafted this piece of crap legislation and backed by others, um, you can see that it was the intent to uh, kind of sideline President Trump and saying, "Look, you know, we make the laws. We're going to tell you what you know what the deal is." But the section that deals with um, the, the uh, what I just uh, what I just referenced here would circumvent all of that. Um, now, it's the Department of Depart- Department of Defense Civil Works budget. That's where the money would come from when you start digging down in the 10 U.S.C. 2808, meaning that I'm not sure if Donald Trump signed this to stop the shutdown or whatever. Okay. But uh, Do we know? Has he actually signed it yet? You, you know, I'm not seeing that. Okay. I, I'm not seeing President it. But he to make good on right. threat of daring national emergency on the border. Trump to sign border security bill and declare national emergency to fund wall. So I don't think he has signed it yet. But as this is um, looming and as you're breaking down the contents of the bill, which is something I'm sure we're going to be doing over the next few days, uh, because I I know there's a lot in here that probably they don't want the American people to know or understand. Uh, There are big problems, especially with, as we, Daniel Horwitz pointed out, how fast they're trying to ram this through. But that's it. Nancy Pelosi made a very interesting statement today. And I want to make sure we talk about this because this is something that is, uh, we got, we got to make some uh, differentiations here in what she's saying versus what is the truth is. Now, president said on, on top of signing the spending bill to avoid the shutdown, he will also declare a border emergency to uh, get the construction of the wall going and get the, the proper funding. Now, Nancy Pelosi, in turn, in response, says, well, think of this, Republicans. A future Democratic president could use the same tactic to impose gun control <clears throat> under an executive uh, emergency declaration. Yes, they and, could. Well, no, they couldn't. Because well, this is a con- – okay, <clears throat> one thing that the Constitution – see, this is where – this is why I want to talk about this. There is no constitutional provision that guarantees the rights of illegal aliens to be able to come here and not be detained coming here illegally. Well, that's assuming that we're even paying attention to the Constitution. Correct. But so technically, the Constitution cannot be suspended because of a localized mass shooting or even something as heinous as Las Vegas. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What happened in Boston? <clears throat> yeah, I mean that, that, post-marathon. That I'm talking uh, nationally though. No, well, okay. It could be – yes, absolutely. You can see uh, – look at Katrina and what happened in New Orleans where people who were not in flooded areas had their homes raided by police, had their guns taken, and were physically even assaulted and arrested uh, at the same time. And they did nothing wrong other than have guns during this state of emergency in New Orleans. So there is a precedent there. But what Nancy Pelosi is doing is threatening the Republicans, sure. threatening the president, saying, if you use this power to declare a national emergency – for implementing your border wall, a Democrat in the future will use this precedent of declaring a national emergency to take your guns. Which, uh, that's the, so what? They're going to do that anyway. 
in, in one way, shape, oh, yeah. or form. They're going to do that anyway. But I think this makes it – I would hope this raises alarm yeah. bells and red flags in the eyes of the American public, especially those who who vaguely pay attention because not only do have we talked about this being the goal, one of the goals, and even last night Patrick Wood when we are talking about technocracy talked about the uh, ability to escape the com- total control of a scientific dictatorship, which is what we're headed for. Right. And right. unlike any time in history or even the last hundred years where governments had tyrannical control, they did not have the controls that the scientific dictatorship will have. So this is definitely not out of the realm of possibilities. Yes, they could do it. No, it would not be constitutional. But for those who are saying it's a conspiracy theory that they want to get your guns, even though we've seen many politicians say that's exactly what they want to do, now they're using or, or throwing out there the tactics by which they may uh, attempt to do so. Is this an empty threat by Nancy Pelosi? I guess that's the question. No, it's not an empty threat. It's telegraphing exactly what the progressive socialist Democrats or the communists or the socialist democratic socialists or the communists, really they're communists. Uh, and the, the, you know, the uniparty is, is that of a communist uniparty. No, they're telling us what they're going to do, and and they're they're preparing us, I suppose, or preparing their base to get excited about gun confiscation, which is the ultimate objective here. Which would in turn uh, instantly start a civil war. Well, so be it, according to to them, right? But but how, okay, but but again, now, um, how many people uh, have been so dumbed down in this country? And I know that there's a percentage. In fact, a very decisive percentage, I think, that uh, even if you had point, uh, you know, one-tenth of one percent object, I, I think that we would have a one one massive problem in this country. But um, but I think there's enough people that would, depending on the circumstances, turn in their neighbors. And, well, absolutely, and especially is, if there's incentives and, and yeah. monetary rewards. Yeah. Um, in a heartbeat, they would even just to keep their own families safe, even to keep uh, you know an extra meal on their plate a week, they would do so. Especially if you're talking about times of uh, like we're looking seeing in Venezuela. Do you think a family who is star or a, a mother and father of a family in Venezuela who maybe has two to four kids who are are literally starving, uh, you know, and have been starving for months, would not turn in their neighbors for a few loaves of bread and a, and a chunk of meat? They would do that in a second, and it wouldn't. It's about their own survival at that point. They they become so desperate that they have to put uh, the needs of their children even before that of their neighbor, and that's a horrible situation for these people to be in. But yeah, they're going to do it. It doesn't matter how good of a friend you are when it comes to you. You know, <laughs> if you're going to die versus uh, uh, unless you do something, somebody else is going to die. Nine times out of ten. The people are going to not choose yeah, not and, to die. And, and I just want to let people know, our listeners know, look, if you, I just want to just be sensible about things. If you own guns, shut up about it. I, I mean, long rifles or whatever. Don't tell people. Don't go off and show them and brag to neighbors or whatever. If you own food, you know, if you own silver, gold, whatever it might be. Don't keep the guns in the classroom. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, just come on. No, of course, be, be sensible sense. about it. And, and, uh, I understand where we're headed, and we're headed to this point very quickly, I, and at least in my view. Um, but uh, at this we point, we already are. We yeah. saw, Keith uh, talked about this uh, the last few weeks. There was an instance in Maryland, and, and uh, Ted and Austin Brower talk about this, what happened in Florida after the Parkland shooting, the governor uh, issuing some kind of new law where if a relative or, or a close 
person to you feels that you are a threat and have a gun, they can call the police and the police can come take the guns away temporarily till they determine your mental uh, capacity. And this happened to a gentleman in Maryland who was shot and killed to death because his niece, I believe it was, or cousin, uh, disagreed with his politics and called in and said, I think this guy's unsafe. And they came in and, and the guy got shot and killed over uh, basically a disagreement with the family member over politics because she called the authorities trying to use this law against him. So it's already there right. uh, in small measures. But with each encroachment, we come closer to that point of total, uh, we're going after every gun. From magazine, we see it. In what's happening well, in Oregon? Yep. Uh, in, in Illinois, you know, yep. they're, they're, you, you can only have a, a gun that holds five bullets or less. You can only buy twenty bullets a week, and you need to sign your, you know, I'm going to tell you right now to get that. Go out and buy high capacity magazines, as much ammo as possible. Learn how to make get your own. long guns. Go, go, go! Right now and get it. Learn how to make your own ammo if you have the tools and resources. And I mean, you can learn how to do anything. Uh, there's a method for everything out there. That, you know, from building a house to manufacturing a bullet, you need the proper tools, you follow the steps, and you can do it yourself uh, if you have the means and, and ability. Uh, but, yeah, while we can, you make sure that you are able to uh, – food first, water first, food first. But even if you don't have a gun, bullets are going to be like gold if and when things turn into a civil war type scenario. And, you know, I, I sense it's going to be geographic in nature, how it's going to start out. It's going to be in the urban areas first, and it, it, may, be, it may start on the West Coast or maybe even in Chicago or in, the, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and wherever they can exploit the differences the, the most and the, and the strongest. And, of course, from there, you declare an, or an emergency is declared, we'll say, by even local officials to – if you get a liberal sheriff or a liberal county – uh, whatever they, well, that would be the sheriff. Um, then of course, you know, you're, you got to turn in your weapons or you've got a, you've got a, a ban on weapons, but, but there are a lot of variables right now. And I'm not trying to scare people. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that this could go a number of different ways, but what we're seeing right now, and especially what you're, <clears throat> what you were going to get into about McCabe. Oh yeah. The, you, you can see how far, and we might, we put a pin in the, uh, the, the appropriations bill here and the national security, national emergency okay. only because we, hey. we, there's a lot to, a lot, lot to yeah. get into. The bill's long, so you've got to really kind of go through it, but horse right, so, so is right though. Breaking news before we move on to the McCabe, what we already knew, uh, <laughs> that McCabe told the truth about today, the front of Drudge. Uh, just popped up there, Red Siren, ABC Empire actor staged attack. We called this from the very beginning. Jesse Smollett staged attack with help of others, allegedly being written off Empire. The Chicago police confirmed Thursday that the detectives are talking to two persons of interest in connection with the alleged attack on Empire actor Jesse Smollett. Multiple sources have told ABC 7 Eyewitness News that police are investigating whether Smollett and the two men staged the attack allegedly because Smollett was being written off of Empire. A source familiar with the investigation told ABC7i team that Smollett failed to appear for an interview with detectives earlier Thursday. A source briefed on the Smollett investigation confirmed to ABC News that Chicago police are questioning the two persons of interest, one of whom has appeared on Empire. Law enforcement officials told ABC News that the homes of the persons of interest were raided Wednesday night. Police remove shoes, electronic devices, other items they believe could help them determine if the two people played any role in the assault from those homes. They cannot, the Chicago police say they cannot confirm any of those reports. No charges have yet been filed. But, but this shows 
and and will this uh, blow up in the face of the will the media actually tell the truth and, and admit after using this as a uh, basically a weapon against Trump against Trump supporters against the MAGA phrase and the hat you had days and days where Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo went back and forth basically calling the MAGA hats uh, uh, equating them to KKK outfits or to some kind of racist club for those who wear them based on this attack. And now it shows, as we said from the very beginning, as many others have also pointed out, by putting the pieces together, that this man staged a fake hate crime, which was, because of his status on the show Empire, became a media circus and frenzy covered by every major network and was used as a staple of a, uh, uh, used as an example a staple example of the racism by Trump supporters in this country. Only yet to be seen again, which we can add to the list of the uh, hatecrimehoax.org, fakehatecrimehoax.org, let me make sure I get that right, of the 370 now uh, fake hate crimes that have been perpetrated by the alleged victims. And where is that website? Anyway, that's on the front of Drudge. But Andrew McCabe. Well, wait wait a second. Just one more sentence on that. Consider for him to do this he was really attempting to destroy other people's lives. Yeah. You know, for his own personal for, gain right, to keep his seat right. on the show. And do you think that he would get the Roger Stone treatment of, uh, of arrest? But I'm, I'm, I digress, but okay, go ahead. Let's get into McCabe. Well, McCabe, this, the McCabe story is verification of, of course, things we already knew. And that's the fact okay. that McCabe is a, uh, is a rotten, scumbag. For those of you not following along, Andrew McCabe was the former deputy director of the FBI. He, uh, and we, you, especially dad, I've been doing a lot of reporting on this when this first broke about McCabe, about Rosenstein, about the plot to unseat Trump, but via a criminal conspiracy using the intelligence agencies as their weapon. But it has come out now. McCabe says that not only him and the FBI, but the DOJ discussed removing president Trump. He also said that he ordered the obstruction probe, and Rod Rosenstein did offer to wear a wire. Yes, this was no friggin' joke. And this, you know, what's the definition of a coup? For 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 the love of God, people, this McCabe should be tried, arrested for treason. Absolutely. Now we're going to pick right up on this when we come back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this Thursday edition of the Hagman Report.
Exposing the New World Order, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on the Global Star Radio Network. Stand by. Doug and Joe will be back shortly. Truth into action, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report, streaming live on the Global Star Radio Network. Please stand by. Doug and Joe will be back momentarily. This is the Hagman Report for today. Of course, it is the 14th day of February 2019. If if you were so inclined, what's that? Happy Valentine's Day. If you're so inclined to celebrate that, and if you, if if your wife expects flowers today, or your mom, I do hope you you obliged. Um, otherwise, I mean, if you, you know, look, there's some people that don't celebrate it, of course, and some people have have a uh, Christian aversion to that. That's fine. I, that's that's have your a, choice. A monetary aversion. A, a monetary, yeah, if you want to spend eighty bucks for a uh, you know, or one hundred and twenty dollars for a, a dozen roses uh, just in one day, and then or or spend you know fifteen tomorrow. Um, it's up to you. But uh, nonetheless, we are so delighted to have with us a gentleman by the name of Matt Philbin, and I'm going to spell his last name. Okay, pay attention here. It's P-H-I-L-B-I-N, Matt Philbin, M-A-T-T, Matt Philbin. The reason I spelled his name is because that's his Twitter handle, of course, at Matt Philbin. And here's the deal. He's a managing editor for Media Research Center, News, that's Newsbusters, of course. And uh, we like Newsbusters, of course. We, we, we draw from that website, uh, that news site every day for uh, program um, information and, and cutting edge information and in his position for in the in the culture position there um as a managing editor of course he follows how among other things of course how the media treats uh, president donald trump and what uh, what's really going on and has got the, the backstories behind it but uh, um he's one of our fa- at least my favorite uh, one of my favorite writers there as well. Uh, a couple things here from him lately. Um, you know, going, well, I shouldn't say lately. Going back uh, earlier this month, uh, President Trump likely to play on White Evangelicals Fears of Prayer Breakfast, of course, uh, um, you know, according to the Washington Post. 
That's how the Washington Post has covered that President Donald Trump and, of course, a propaganda push movie to a glorify illegal abortion network. And he exposes this kind of stuff. So with that, I want to welcome, we want to welcome Mr. Matt Philbin to the broadcast. Mr. Philbin, thanks for joining us. Good evening, gentlemen. Hey, it's great. It's great to have you. Um, wow. Wow, you've you're, you've done some fantastic exposés here of late. Yeah, one of the um, ones that uh, that you didn't mention that is one of the reasons that he, uh, Matt's coming on tonight, among others, is that it's something we cover very heavily on this show because of the uh, our, our Christian outlook, but you know, covering the political. Uh, uh, what's going on in the pol- political world through the, the lens of the Bible and Christianity. But we're seeing this huge increase of Hollywood and the entertainment industry uh, using the, the progressive bias to push hatred for conservative people, President Trump supporters, and others, and at the same time turning around and censoring those same voices that they're demonizing, not allowing them the uh, opportunity to defend themselves on social media. So it's a big issue here. It uh, has implications for Christians and for uh, politicals. Uh, people all all together. So yeah, you want to start there or somewhere else? Uh, uh, it's up to you, gentlemen. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, speak what's on your heart, what's on your mind, and what's at the tip of your pen well, on the uh, keyboard. The the um, the uh, piece that uh, you were referring to is uh, something we just started. It's it's what we everybody knows that. Um, that Hollywood is, you know, largely leftist, largely anti-Christian, or at least non-Christian, um, and certainly against President Trump. Um, so what we've done is we've just started to try to put a number on it. We took a bunch of shows, and 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 this is this is sort of an organic growing thing uh, that we will be tracking every month. We just whatever we saw. In entertainment TV that uh, slighted or ridiculed Trump or conservatives or conservative ideas or the church or anything of that nature, we took, uh, added it to account, and we're going to do it monthly. For For January, the count was 33 shows that do that. Now, that's jokes. Uh, that's nasty uh, comments. That's a bunch of things included. But we're talking about entertainment TV, the stuff that we're all supposed to watch uh, for enjoyment, that we're supposed to turn to for a little escapism or, you know, to appreciate, you know, uh, whatever it is you get out of a TV show that you watch for entertainment. And we are trying to put a number on just how biased and how anti-Christian and anti-conservative what Hollywood is offering up actually is. You know, I'm old enough to remember Johnny Carson back way back <laughs> when. All right, uh, I mean early Johnny Carson, and you know he had some good one-liners, um, but he was not. He, he was an equal opportunity one-liner kind of guy. So um, all politicians were pretty well fair game, and, and but, but it wasn't mean-spirited. And it certainly, you could tell it was a joke and meant as such, as opposed to trying to push really a, a, an agenda and even combine fake yeah, information with the agenda. So uh, it's a big, big difference between then and now, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, it sure is. And I mean, you know, and this is the thing, Carson, um, David Letterman, before the end of his, his run, I mean, you know, years ago when he was on NBC, he was an equal opportunity sort of, uh, you know, lampooner. Um, and, you know, um, uh, the, the guy that took over for Carson, Jay Leno, yep. another guy who yep. basically what they did was make fun of anybody who's in power, make fun of anybody who's in the spotlight. And usually it was in a fairly good-natured way. Right. It didn't pull punches so much, but it wasn't out to draw blood. Um, and what you have now is, especially since President Trump uh, was elected, you have people that are out there to draw blood. And what they've essentially done, and, and some of them, like Jimmy Kimmel, has uh, admitted as much, they've essentially given up on half the American public as an audience. They don't care to appeal to conservatives. They don't care to appeal to certainly Trump voters. They don't care to appeal to Christians. Um, they are telling it like they know their audience wants to hear it. Um, so basically it comes down to an echo chamber and they're, they're making jokes for their little in group. It's, it's almost like high school at this point. And it's a sad thing because it really, you know, it, at one time, and I mean, I, I hate to sentimentalize, TV, especially TV, because it's such a it's such a hollow sort of shallow medium. But there is truth to the idea that at one point, you know, there were things that sort of drew us together. Johnny Carson, sure. or you know, uh, I don't know. I was I was two, but the Moonwalk, or, or you know, the first man on the moon. Um, yeah, but there were TV events. Sorry, TV sort of drew us together, and. Um, it doesn't happen anymore, and it is a willing sort of tearing apart right now. It's it's yeah. it's a weaponization, isn't it? I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. uh, weaponizing that in in a very asymmetrical war playing field, uh, asymmetrical playing field. And it went from being subtle, as you guys have described, uh, you know, subtle digs here and there, and uh, to completely overt now. And at the same time, the it's not only the demonization of the uh, conservative ideology, but it's also the promotion of the liberal ideology, which includes the abortion and infanticide. And they've gone from, uh, you know, advocating for women's reproductive health rights, as they put it, uh, abortion on demand through Planned Parenthood to celebrating infanticide on TV that we see with like specials of Sarah, Sarah Silverman. Yeah, no, this is this is absolutely right. Um, you know, there is in an age of polarization like we are in, it drives people to extremes. It drives some people on the right to an extreme. It certainly has driven uh, you know, people on the left to an extreme, people like Sarah Silverman and the so-called feminists who um really have um it, 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 they have thrown all all decorum and all sense of of propriety and all sense of you know how you should speak in public uh to the wind and they're basically especially in in the uh abortion debate which yes 
it's it's a fraught debate. It raises uh, tremendous, um, you know, uh, basically emotions on both sides. But they have become, to some degree, abortion uber Alice. This idea that abortion trumps everything, and you can see it sort of creep into the politics of the Democratic Party, but but especially on this sort of far-out left-wing feminist side, there is this idea that abortion is the key to everything they want, and to retreat a step or to to acknowledge something, you know, acknowledge something wrong with abortion is essentially uh, is defeat for them. So you see this, and it's more and more strident. And the more strident they get, the more it leaks into the entertainment field. And you have things like, uh, you know, a few years ago, there was um, uh, on the show, oh gosh, um, <laughs> it might have been the House of Cards, uh, but... Somebody had an abortion on Christmas Eve, one of the main characters on Christmas Eve, while they played Silent Night. Wow. Um, that's as big an in-your-face to Christianity and to the idea that life is sacred that I could possibly imagine. Absolutely. Um, and so, oh. so you see, it leaks in. And um, this is where we're left in sort of the national dialogue, uh, where it basically you're you're sort of uh, giving each other the finger, and nobody really gets, uh, nobody makes a real point. Now, you mentioned the fact that these TV programs and the increased attacks on President Trump, his supporters, and conservatives in general. Uh, is placating to their base. And I, I agree with that to a certain extent. But I want to ask you, in your opinion, how much of this programming is also meant to capture uh, the the mindsets of those people maybe who are on the fence or uh, don't pay that close of attention to the political world, grabbing them into well, their ideological belief? Sure, there's always that, and um, which is one of the dangers. It's one of the reasons the Media Research Center exists. Um Look, if you watch the news, if you watch anything, if you consume anything uh, as a as a well-informed uh, viewer or consumer, you probably already have your mind made up about things. You, you, you look at things from a certain angle. It's not to say you're not open to argument. You're not open to proof uh, that contradicts your view. But it, it does mean that, you know, you're kind of... Okay, you you know what's going on, and you can choose for yourself. It's the people that sort of see CNN in the airport, um, you know, waiting for a flight, and they sort of absorb, because unfortunately CNN is on in every airport, they sort of absorb what they're hearing, what they're seeing, without really processing it. And then... You go, uh, say you go to a cocktail party and somebody wants to talk about that issue. Well, the only thing you really know, you heard on CNN in the airport. So you say that. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it's, it's a very sort of, it's insidious and it's subtle 
but it's unfortunately very effective, and it's a very effective way. It's like the air we breathe. Um, so, yes, that's always been a point, and it's always been something that entertainment shows know they can do. It just depends how interested they are in inculcating one side or the other. And unfortunately, um, you know, it's all the other in this case. Folks, we're talking with Matt Philbin. His Twitter, you can follow him there, Mm. is at Matt, M-A-T-T-P-H-I-L-B-I-N. Again, he's the managing editor uh, for Media Research Center Culture. Uh, So make sure you follow him on Twitter. And and I want to ask this question. Uh, In your research, and you've done extensive research, and I want to thank you for all you've done and and all you're doing. And I know our audience appreciates it. Who are the biggest offenders with respect to to exactly what you're talking about. I mean, obviously, you get CNN on the news side, MSNBC, Conspiracy Central. Um, But but, (laughs) uh, again, asymmetrically, who who, maybe in different categories, the biggest offenders, or maybe a surprise kind of uh, offender that that one, one would not ordinarily consider as being an offender. Well, you know, uh, 10 years ago, I would have said, well, sure, ABC Family, because it was the greatest misnomer, uh, the sort of worst thing you could call a channel like that. Um, But that's sort of out there now. Um, Basically, I can't say anybody is particularly worse than the others for the simple reason that they all exist in a bubble. You have all the same people with all the same backgrounds and all the same experiences who are in charge of making our entertainment. And it's, it's, uh, it's very rare that you come across, you know, anybody that's, that's reluctant to cross a, a bridge, cross the Rubicon, so to speak, without, uh, you know, say, the censors, uh, such as they are, you know, without fear of that. There's no internal liberalism, it's been said, has uh, basically no limiting principle. And the same thing is true when you put liberals in a situation where they have power over our entertainment. There's no limiting principle. There's what they can get away with. Um, So you don't see... Many people who go, yeah, I, I don't really want to go there. Um, they're all kind of the same, and they'll all push those boundaries. And the thing is, you have a situation, and you can see this, even if we're talking about uh, broadcast decency, you can see where one goes so far, and the others see it as a challenge to at least match it or go further. So, you know, you can say certain things on TV this year. Next year, they're going to see how for, how much further they can push the envelope. Same thing goes with politics. They are not uh, – it, it, it's, it's essentially a group of – frankly, it's a group of high school kids. Um, that's who's in charge of our entertainment in this country. And unfortunately, you know, they, there are no grown-ups around in Hollywood to say, no, this is a bad idea. Uh, or there are very few, and they're losing power. 
Yeah, and the wow. influence of how uh, much more progressively worse and the, the rapid deterioration of any uh, morals um, on TV is very evident. And especially for the, it's not just the cable TV anymore, it's the also the, the streaming services, the Netflixes, the Hulus, and Amazon who are doing their own original content. And because they are not uh, limited by uh, regular TV standards, you know, with the rating system, they have taken it, you know, 10 steps further. And I'll give you an example. I'm not going to name the TV show, but I started to uh, uh, watch this Netflix original series. And I got to say, I was shocked by, I mean, it might as well have been a uh, a, a pornographic TV show with a, a plot or storyline to it. With, with the, and I was just shocked. I couldn't believe it. This was supposed to be a funny uh, comedy TV show. And here it was, you know, every other scene is, is nudity and, and sexual interaction. And I'm thinking, you know, you could never have this on regular TV. Yeah, but and yeah, you take that to the, but, but you take that, that the basement to the political side. Right. And, and this is what, what Matt Philbin, I think, is saying is, is again, mm-hmm. there's no adults in, in Hollywood to oversee this. And now there's no, no there's, there's no ratings uh, on, on these streaming services to cap that either. So, I mean, how far will it go? And, and to add to well, that, what do we do about it? Well, what we do about it is um, sort of the age old question. And if you can, <laughs> if you can, you can find an answer. Um, I'm happy to hear it. Look, the only thing you can do is really be vigilant. Um, you you can be vigilant for yourself and for your family and your kids. Uh, that's all you can do. Look, I I helped my son uh, today uh, edit a paper that he's writing in college, and it was the worst. What he was writing about was awful garbage. Um, the worst sort of stuff you think about coming off our campuses. And, you know, he's got to get to the class and, you know, you know what you have to do. And there are times to stand up and there are times not to. But whenever I do that, I make sure that my son knows that this is garbage. Um, You know, this is not the truth. This is uh, somebody putting something across. This is somebody who wants you to think a certain way. Well, you've got to look at TV the same way. You've got to look at entertainment the same way. It's unfortunate because as conservatives, uh, we basically want, you know, parts of our lives off limits, parts of our lives unpoliticized. But the truth is liberalism, progressivism depends on politicizing every aspect of your life. So there is no retreat. You can't listen to a song on the radio without thinking of, uh, you know, uh, welfare or uh, sex or, you know, whatever it is. You can't watch a TV show without being reminded how much Hollywood hates the president of the United States. Um, And there are very few spaces left where an individual can can take on the situation, the, the, the subject that they want to, without having all these other things intrude. So the thing you have to do is be very vigilant and be vocal within your ability to be vocal and say, no, that's not how it is. This is not the truth. Um, this is half the truth or this is a lie. But this is not... Uh, you know, this is not objective truth. 
So we have to educate ourselves and make sure our children are yeah. guarded. And I get that. And I think we have to start uh, at, at whatever cocktail parties fighting back against the airport CNN style um, news blips and, and saying, no, that's not true. You know, and, take the screens away from yeah. the kids too. Yeah. Don't don't let you know. We see this uh, huge. I call it an epidemic in society where parents find it easier to put a screen in front of their child, whether it's a tablet or cell phone, to keep them entertained. Right. At the same time, not knowing the damage that it does to their minds and to their future development uh, as far as reg- regular function and cognitive skills. But that is a, a huge epidemic we have in our society. Well, it absolutely is, and and it's. You know, I have two sons, uh, one's in college and one's in high school, and, you know, they're, they're part of that generation, and, and you can see how differently, you know, it affects them and their friends, how how differently they see things. Um, the idea of reading for pleasure just no longer comes up. Uh, the idea of reading just to educate yourself no longer comes up. It's you know, everything is done on a screen, and it's done with interaction, et cetera. And it's very difficult to um, sort of make sure that they're they're consuming what it is you want them to consume, what it is you know is good for them. But, um, you know, on the other hand, we can't be Luddites, and we have to, you know, you have to deal with the hand you're dealt. Um, right. Right. So it's very difficult, but... The thing is, you just have to be very wary and understand that there, if if you are Christian and if you are conservative, there are attacks uh, coming from everywhere, whether they're meant to be attacks or not. Wow. Yeah, and I don't think. Well, let me ask this: Do you think it's going to change soon? We we have about three minutes left of our time together, and you've been so gracious of a guest to give us your time. I know you're busy. Um, it's not going to change anytime soon. Obviously, this tactic, these tactics, are going to be used uh, pretty consistently because they've worked, right? I mean, it's it's worked. Well, they do. They do. What has to happen is. You know, just like anything else, uh, the opposite side has to adapt. We have to adapt. Uh, we have to figure out how to counter it. And, and you know, things run in cycles, too. When I was in college uh, in the in the 80s, um, political correctness was a big thing. Then it died for a while. Now it's back. Now it's back with a vengeance. Um, so things go in cycles, and, and it's it's a question of... Uh, you know, will, you know, even entertainment will pull back a little bit. But the thing you've got to do is, is understand that and sort of, uh, and just be prepared for what's, what's to come. Because honest, uh, there's kind of no limit anymore. And, um, unless sort of Hollywood itself decides to pull back. Um, there's not much we can do about it until they do. No more I rules. I wish I had a yeah. better answer. No, no, and I, I think that's the best answer of all because it's the right answer, the correct answer, and I think that's the only answer. There are no more rules. I mean, it's the gloves are off, and, and we need to, uh, you know, in, in my view, we need to kind of take this to the streets. and, and we need in to a, engage. What's that? We need to engage. And, well, Yeah. You need to engage, but unfortunately right now that means conflict. And um, 
people really just want to mind their own business, get on with their lives, um, you know, do their job, raise their kids, go to church, etc. But um, unfortunately, they're not going to leave you alone. <laughs> that's right. And Man. and and that's that's I think the end. You know, that's what's below. The, below the surface of all this. Wow. They're just not going to leave you alone. Matt Philbin, wow. the managing editor, Media Research Center Culture at Newsbusters.org. Matt, thank you so much for Thanks, joining buddy. us tonight. We look forward to having you back on in the future. Great talking with you. Thank right. you. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Reporting on what the mainstream media won't, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on the Global Star Radio Network. Radio Network. the new world order you're listening to the hagman and hagman report on the global star radio network stand by doug and joe will be back shortly Truth into action. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report, streaming live on the Global Star Radio Network. Please stand by. Doug and Joe will be back momentarily.
And this is the Hagman Report going old school, giving Eric a uh, much-needed day off, actually. Um, going old school, audio only. Of course, HagmanReportLive.com. That's HagmanReportLive.com. And uh, other numerous outlets. But uh, You mentioned old school. I don't yeah, need to interrupt and yeah, jump in no, here, but I want to make sure we do this because we don't do this enough. Folks, we are uh, we are launching a well, – how, uh, how would you word it? We, we are – well, okay, our 2019 campaign of infiltrate and, of course, uh, create associations, inform and prepare is um, is lagging. We, we are we need help. We, you know what, folks? We need help. We, we need do. help. We need we need support. We need prayers. We do, we financial do. support. Yes, spreading the word about the show. Any way that you can help uh, continue to to promote and to spread this broadcast far and wide. Uh, anything that you can do to help us uh, to. Uh, raise funds as you are going to see within the next six weeks the amount of effort and and time and reinvestment into the show we have put in as uh, uh and i think people are going to be amazed just as i am uh as eric comes up with these different ideas and concepts and uh puts them into play uh, you're really going to see a transformation of this show for the better again uh, as we've seen a few times here in the past with eric's help with the yeah, team's you know, help exactly with and, your help with your help, and, and that's what we need. Our tagline, um, in addition to, to others, but our primary tagline right now is uh, truth cannot, can't be silenced. Truth can't be silenced. There are so many people out there who want to silence us. Uh, silence us. Even people on, or are supposed to be on our own side want to silence us for various reasons. And, of course, you know, that's just the way it is. And we, we don't like that, and, and we don't, yeah, you know, still... ask for – we don't, you know, every, a lot of these shows, you'll see people asking for support on a on – a, 24-7, Fifteen every after every break after every yeah. uh, you know every single episode and we try not to do that. It's actually something that we have to sit down and talk about and remind each other to say, hey, uh, you know, we need to make sure we do this more uh, because it's uncomfortable. We don't like to do it. We don't want to do it, but it's something that needs to be done, especially as we continue to increase the quality of of this radio show. And it's not only going to be the the visual and audio quality that will be increasing; it will be the content. As well as we continue to move forward, so some some big changes, and, and, and to that to that end too, I just want to remind or just let people know that um, we're more than a radio show. We're we're actually out there attempting to make the changes, as opposed to just talking about the problems and even providing solutions where we can. We're out there attempting to make changes through that that uh, our campaign of infiltration and of course then from that uh, information but but please you know if if you have it in your heart uh but don't have it in your pocketbook then don't uh, don't don't please don't but if you have it in your pocketbook and your heart then great um and if uh whatever you can do we appreciate because we are a listener supported show and you know, you'll hear sponsors from time to time uh, you've got no idea how much Folks, I mean, you've got no idea of our budget for the satellite uplinks, for the bandwidth, for the, um, I mean, it's just, it's beyond anything we want to talk about. So, um, and we, yeah. you know, we, we, we could all, we could also just scale back and scale back to, you know, once a week. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that, that's not what we're going to no, do. We're, we're, we're in for the long haul. I, I guess, I guess I, I you just startled me there. Dude. I'm like, well, once a week, what are we going to yeah. do with the rest of our time? We, well, Home Depot has got openings, I think maybe, serious, I don't know. Seriously, for every hour of broadcasting we do, I would say there's about three hours behind the scenes of other things, whether it's oh, interactions with guests, whether it's managing person. websites and YouTube channels and other broadcasting platforms, whether it, I mean, 
seriously, it is a full, more than a full-time job for, uh, and I think all everybody here on our team uh, has the equivalent of at least one and a half full-time jobs. Uh, so, so what you see, just the three-hour product a day, is about what maybe a fifth of the work that goes into the day. It's about right. It's about twenty yeah. percent. So, uh, and right. we're waiting for Keith. I have a. Uh, mix up here. I had last week's instructions I sent to Todd where Keith was going to be a few <laughs> minutes late. So Todd's asking, should I call him or, or is he calling in? So I'm going to uh, send uh, Todd a message to and say, hey, uh, yeah, you should give Keith a call. But um, interesting. I want to talk about this Jesse Smollett issue because there are, as we open <laughs> oh, the show, man. the hoax hate crimes um, it is showing to be a uh, Hate or a, a alleged attack made up by him and a conspiracy of his friends, and what is being reported by TMZ though is they're spinning this and not associating the fact that these two Nigerian men, who are now persons of interest who've had their houses raided and have been detained, don't have an association to him or the show. They're not reporting it like that. They're basically saying. Persons of interest had home raided bleach found, according to report, reporting it as though the attack was legitimate and now the perpetrators have been caught. Uh, it does say in this one report that both men are Nigerian and were extras on Empire. This is based on what the cops have said. But why are they not uh, looking at this or reporting this from the, the truth of the matter is, which this was a setup uh, and I did not know he was being written off the show, which gives it even the extra motivation to, uh, you know, make this happen. He's getting all this free publicity. Uh, you know, did Empire change their mind and say, oh, because you were uh, attacked by yourself in a hoax hate crime, we're going to, you know, we decided not to write your character. I mean, was that what he was going for? Was that the sole motive or was it to inflame, further inflame racial tensions in this country based along President Trump and Trump supporters? When he reported to the police that the attackers were white, even though they were wearing gloves and a hoodie, apparently, uh, he also reported that this is, they said this is MAGA country. Um, does this sound like two uh, uh, immigrant Nigerian men, something they would do uh, on the spur of the moment, you know, for no reason at two in the morning on a negative 30 degree night in Chicago? Well, I'll, I'll, bet you, so. I'll bet you if... I'll bet you the the, if, if the feds raided my 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 house, they'd find bleach too. <laughs> I think um, everybody's house has bleach in it. But now this brings up other questions. He says he was on the phone with his manager at the time. How big is this conspiracy of this hoax hate crime? That's my question. Does well, it stop uh, with these people. Let me ask you: Who in the heck is this Smollett, and why? And what's Empire, and why in the hell should we care? I mean. It, 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 to me, this okay, I've is never just, watched Empire, but from what I, I understand, I don't even know who this this moron it is, is. A show about an African American family who owns or owns a big record label or media empire um, in today's day and age, and, and that's all I know. So it's been on Fox for several years, and it is fairly popular, I imagine, judging by the advertisements I see for it. So it's not just a uh, you know fly by night TV show that that is a come and go again. It's it's a uh, been around for a while and apparently has a pretty good base. Uh, All right, so, so it's something that that the the uh, uh, people watch apparently some TV There's show. There's a market for it, yeah. All right, all right. So okay, so, so this guy re reportedly, allegedly, or looking like uh, he stages yeah. on hate crime attack. Multiple sources are telling yeah. ABC Seven, Chicago Eyewitness News that Jesse Smollett and the two men are being questioned by police. Staged the attack allegedly because his character was being written off the show. It is also, uh, he, he did not appear, he, he refused to show up for an interview he had with detectives today after his phone records were subpoenaed and he handed them very heavily redacted phone records 
uh, dealing with only the time period, one, one hour time period, and that was even redacted. Well, uh, and nine minutes ago. Hey, wait, wait a second, nine minutes ago, a new statement from Fox, the idea that he would be written off. Empire is patently ridiculous. He remains a core player on this very successful series, and we continue to stand behind him. Good for you. Good for Again, you. How high does this conspiracy of this hoax yeah. hate crime go? Is his manager involved in this? Are the writers of the show involved in this? Is Fox at the manager level people involved in this? Well, I mean, uh, look, you know, for, for every one of these these Muppets, okay, you have more important Muppets like Andrew McCabe, and and this is what interests me more. You've got a coup that. Uh, Top national security officials plotted against President Donald Trump. If you go to the Federalist, dated today, an article written by Madeleine Osborne, uh, she writes that uh, McCabe publicly admitted that after the firing of Comey, national security officials strategized on invoking the 25th Amendment. And this is against the sitting president. And there were meetings at the Justice Department. And it was discussed whether the vice president and a majority. Now, imagine this. Imagine. Just think about that. Let this sink in for a minute. There were meetings at the Justice Department at which it was discussed whether the vice president and the majority of the cabinet could be brought together to remove President Donald Trump. <laughs> Reminds the, me think. Of, the, of the Seinfeld episode where George... Uh, and the cleaning lady uh, have have relations at work, and he's like, "Is that frowned? Is that is that not supposed to? Uh, is that frowned upon here at the office?" I was not told about that. I mean, seriously, yeah, we've <laughs> been talking about this for years since the the election of President Trump. That there has been a criminal conspiracy, a coup, to remove him from office, and now it is not only speculation; it is coming out of the horse's mouth themselves, as Deputy Director Andrew McCabe testified to today. So the, I guess the bottom line is, will there be consequences for these actions? You know, I, I know how many people have worn wires out there. I, I've actually, well, I, I, I always wear one. You know, I, I so seriously, I've worn wires. Okay, I know for, for the FBI from literally. Oh, that was camera, camera. Yeah, that, that was a, something different. Uh, actually, a wire, I, the wire shorted out. I was sweating, and it ran up my shirt sleeve. Okay, and I still have the scar on my the arm. Third degree burns on himself. Holy! I, I started smelling. I Flash. felt this intense pain. I started smelling burning skin. Yeah, that was bad. And uh, I thought, man, this ain't going well. But um, no, for the FBI and for the Department of Justice, I, I did uh, back in the nineties wear wires, and and you know, it's no small thing. It's it's not a small. And Keith Hansen can tell you, I'm sure, it's not a small thing. But but to have this at that level, yeah. Uh, can you just really? I mean, uh, Keith, how you doing, man? WNTK, good. WNTK, by the way, the voice of the conservative or the conservative voice of the Northeast. WNTK, uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, it's uh, so much to talk about. We were just John about uh, McCabe and the coup attempt and wearing wires and stuff. I don't know. Beyond, that's beyond anything I've ever seen ever. Does it does it surprise you? No, no. We talked about this, and, and we talked about this day one when it was first mentioned. Not not yeah. not the least. But but it, since it, the New York it, Times it on January twentieth even me. even wrote a yeah. story saying as much that the Trump Trump was being wiretapped during his 
transition period and even before that as he was running for president. So we've known that all along, but this takes it to a new level when you have coordination between the FBI and the Department of Justice actively seeking to uh, uh, remove an elected president from office through a criminal conspiracy they created and uh, using weaponizing the intelligence agencies to do so. This takes it to a whole new level and, and dare I say, treason charges should be brought. And and, and why, you know what, Keith, why not? Why aren't, I mean, does this, well, does this rise to that level? Treason? I I mean, it it certainly would appear to. I mean, they're trying to undermine the, uh, the integrity of the president of the United States. But this, to be honest with you, doesn't come as a surprise to me. I, it, it, he was never supposed to have won that election. We, you know, I, I can't, I can't count how many times I've said that sure. he was never supposed to have won that election. That was Hillary Clinton's election. The only thing that this man is guilty of is winning an election he was never supposed to win. I, I agree. That's. And so, I mean, we have seen nothing but a nonstop concerted effort to undermine the integrity of his presidency, to 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 weaken to. Do whatever we can to try to weaken him and 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 to take him down for and 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 for whatever reason i don't I don't know what the end game was. I mean, I could speculate what the end game would have possibly been if if Hillary Clinton had been elected. God help us all right. but um you know it, it I don't know I mean this is you're right i i've I've never seen anything like this we've i mean there's never been anything like this in the history of our country. So okay. what happens now? Well, I, you know, what what happens now? Do these people get brought up on charges? You know, something I, I don't have a I don't have a lot of faith in this. To be <laughs> well, well, no, it, I don't. I don't think they will. No, I I don't either. No, they're and, doing and, their job, protecting and, the country. But but there's yeah, there's two questions I suppose. Two kind of um, uh, questions I have after this, and, and you just address one. Now what? I mean, it, it, what's what's the recourse, or, or what should be the recourse? And but the second thing is is what's the greater story them doing this or um maybe looking at this in a, with a wider lens how did we get to this point was this did, did did this weaponization of these intelligence agencies specifically did it happen under obama or was it you know previous to that um was there a coup back in the fifties with you know, that McCarthy tried to point out that, and he was right with the communist infiltration, and, and as you had talked about, even with the eugenics movement and just you know wildly popular expose last time you were on with with the eugenics uh, uh, discussion. I mean, I mean, so, so I guess my question is. We find ourselves here, and, and so what do we do about it, or what's going to happen? Probably nothing, and, and so what does that mean for us as a nation if nothing happens? And then where did this, you know, who's responsible for this weaponization, I guess? So anyway, but, but to, you know, what's on your heart, brother? Uh, we don't have to stick on this subject. No, it's, I mean, and this is this is certainly a, a, a breaking. I mean, it's it's a it's a breaking story. The one that you had talked about earlier, uh, the. Um, uh, with the the Empire actor, I mean that's uh, that certainly is breaking. So that's that'll be interesting to see how that plays out, um, and and what's happening there. Uh, here locally on the, uh, or I should say on the on the state level here, we're just looking at some um, 
looking at some of the red flag law. A lot of anti-gun stuff going through the uh, the House and the Senate here right now. So we've been we've been focusing a lot on that, um, and also focusing on what happened the other night, Monday night, when uh, Dinesh D'Souza came to Dartmouth College. Oh uh, yes, yes. Okay, okay. You know what? I, we're just going to sit back. I want to hear about this. Go ahead. I mean, by the way, I did catch some of your programming. Uh, yesterday was it when did you talk about this uh probably tuesday either tuesday or wednesday this is thursday would have been i have to remind been, myself right Sorry, i think it was tuesday I, i'm not sure but anyway go ahead uh yeah, yeah it, it, feels, it feels like a friday did you happen to catch uh Dinesa's daughter talking on fox about it i did not no okay um so she she had actually shot some video footage from from outside the uh uh, the hall uh, where he was speaking. So, um, <clears throat> so Dartmouth College is about twenty minutes from from where my studios are. It's actually about twenty five twenty minutes from where I live, and about twenty five minutes from where my studios are. So uh, when I found out about it, I was actually contacted by the uh, the Dartmouth College Republicans, and uh, you know, hey, are, are you interested in coming up? Uh, of course, absolutely, love to uh, love to be there. So um, I was dead center front row seat on that. And uh, had some great seats, and uh, everybody that was uh, in the front row. We had uh, Steve Negrin, who was running for, who had had run uh, for uh, for Congress. Uh, Josh Moore, uh, who has got a program called the Patriot Initiative, and I encourage your listeners to check that out. The Patriot Initiative. Uh, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic startup organization. That that uh, Josh, who was a, a two-term young kid, he's in his uh, early twenties, but uh, two-term New Hampshire State Representative, uh, has uh, has put together. Uh, Virginia Dry, who ran for, uh, she's a 19-year-old, who ran for state rep. Uh, we had a couple of other people, Dan Passon, the chairman of the Co- uh, Federation of College Republicans, <clears throat> who were right there. So we were all sitting in the front row. And uh, the uh, when I got there, I got there about 45 minutes before the presentation started. We had reserved seating, so really wasn't necessary to stand in line. Um Kind of just standing up in the lobby of the uh, of the Moore Hall on the campus of Dartmouth College, watching all these people come in, and uh, that's that's when some of the protesters came in. Now there there weren't a lot of protesters initially. Uh, there were maybe a half a dozen who were visible, uh, and they had these. Um, uh, they were they they weren't poster board. They were folded up pieces of almost like tissue paper, very, very thin, um, but bright colored tissue paper, pink and yellow and and orange, bright colors that would automatically attract your attention to them. Uh, and, uh, and things like um, fascists are on campus and, you know, the, 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 the typical claptrap that you'd expect to see from a bunch of brainwashed, indoctrinated snowflakes. So fast forward about... Um, about 45 minutes, the presentation starts off, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of uneventful inside the hall. Every once in a while, there's, there's somebody that stands up, and they unfold their tissue paper banner, and, and they're asked to leave by several of the ushers, and they do. There's, there's no particular issue. At one point in time, about 15, 20 minutes into it, these, uh, these two very, very butch-looking girls stand up um, and just, I mean, start making out in the middle of the aisle. Uh, you know, and then they hold up their their sign or whatever, and they get kicked out. I mean, that that was probably the most. Um, uh, I'm not even going to call it shocking, but just for lack of a better term, the the the, the most shocking thing that occurred inside. Um, but what you could hear outside in the hallway, and I think campus security was doing a really really good job of keeping these people away. 
and making sure that they weren't actually getting inside where Dinesh was speaking, <clears throat> you could hear the uh, the protesters outside, and they're stomping their feet, and they're chanting, and the, you know, the typical, hey, hey, ho, ho, blah, 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 has got to go, you know, that, 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 that old chant that they love to do. So uh, he, he gave his speech for roughly about 45 minutes, took about 15 minutes of questions, and uh, uh, and, and at that point, he uh, they they ushered him out pretty quickly. What was surprising was that they didn't usher him out through a back door. Um, they actually had him go out into the hallway where all of these protesters were, which I thought, you know, I mean, I've spent a lot of time doing executive protection in my lifetime. That's you, you generally don't want to you don't want to take your principal out into the area where the protesters are gathering. Usually you would try to get them out through a back door or something to at least ensure that, you know, there's, there's, there's not an issue. Unless you're guarding a pinata, you know, unless you're escorting a pinata, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So evidently they, they, they managed to get him out. They had enough of a, of a perimeter around him with, uh, you know, with, with members of the Dartmouth college Republicans that they were able to get him out of the building relatively quickly or get him into the elevator relatively quickly. And so his daughter, his wife was there. Um, his daughter who attends Dartmouth was there. She was filming it. Uh, And then of course that Danielle, and then she wound up, um, she wound up on Fox news, uh, the day after or two days after, um, showing the, the, showing the footage of that. Um, and, and so by the time we left, I mean, we kind of congregated inside and I was talking to a couple of people that I knew in the, in the auditorium. So we were among the last people to leave and we were kind of figuring like, yeah, let's just wait until all the hubbub out in the hallway dies down. Well, by the time we we were told, I mean, at this point, you know, hey, listen, we've got to close the, the room up, so you guys have to usher outside. So we got outside into the hallway, and uh, there were there were probably fifty uh, of these people that were standing around and, and and holding these signs and chanting and just yelling and screaming. I mean, it was just it, it, it was just. You know, you see it on television. You see it when, uh, uh, you know, when Ben Shapiro speaks, or you see it when Jordan Peterson speaks, or you see it certainly when Dinesh D'Souza speaks, or Robert Spencer, or any of these other people. Um, but to actually stand there and to be in the middle of it, you, you kind of, you kind of feel that anxiety where. It's- it's like, okay, I really need to have eyes in the back of my head because, you know, who knows what these people are capable of doing. So, um, you know, we, uh, we start making the way I'm, I'm leading the way of, of about five or six people to get out. And, and you know, this typical thing that they try to do where they stand in front of you and try to block you. So you can't move. Um, most of these were college age kids. There was this one particular dykey looking 50 mid fifties woman who was there. I don't know who she was or what her association was with the college, but she kind of seemed to be the ringleader. Um, and then she stepped in front of me, and I don't know, maybe it was just something about the look that I gave her, but um, the look that I gave her was basically, I don't know if I can use the word, well, I'm just going to, the look that I gave her was, bitch, you better get out of my way because I will bowl you over. And the last thing that you're going to feel is you hitting the pavement because I was not in the mood to play with these people. At that point, I'm kind of in my own little heightened security mode. So anybody touches me, I'm going to react. Anybody who gets in my way or tries to block my means of egress, uh, I'm, I'm going to do what I need to do to get out of there and, and maintain my own safety. So she took a step to, to, to block my way, and whatever it was, I gave her the look. She stepped back, and she yeah, would. let me um, and so I, you know, we, we went up the stairs and they were kind of going crazy at that point. 
One of the uh, college Republicans had a flag, so I was standing up at the top of the flag. So I just took the flag, I unfurled the flag, and I held the flag there at the top of the stairs and sung a round of God Bless America and watched them all get whipped up into a frenzy and uh, literally trying to scale up the wall, up the, uh, up the banister, trying to, uh, to grab this American flag. And I'm like, hey, you know what, let's, let's egg them on a little bit. So a good, uh, a good hearty bellow of uh, God Bless America, and uh, we folded the flag up and... Walked outside, and I mean, outside of the building, it was like nothing had ever happened. It was uh, silent. WNTK's own social justice warrior trigger, Keith Hansen. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, I've been with uh, Keith Hansen, and one thing you don't want to do, all right, is you don't want to like puff your chest and block his way of um, block. You know, you just don't, okay? Because I can tell you, I know that look. And and I don't want I don't want to be on the receiving end of the look. Plus the guy the guy's not. I mean he's you know he's big and he's strong and and he's mean. He's mean. Ah, I'm a teddy bear. Come on. <laughs> I'm a teddy. No, it, no, but you know my you know it, it's it's different when you watch it on television. It's different when you you know when you listen to it when you see snippets of it. You see it on social media. But when you're actually there, my attitude, to be honest with you, Doug, is listen. Don't screw with me. Do what you want to do. Have your little protest. Whine and cry and wail and gnash your teeth and all that. But touch me. You're going to have a problem. Block my ability to leave that building. You're going to have a problem because at that point now I'm taking that as a threat to my personal safety, and I'm going to respond as such. Yeah. Um, and and it's 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 not going to be it's not going to be a passive act on my part. It's going to be I'm I'm going to treat you as a threat. Um, because to be honest with you, I don't trust these people. I don't like these people, and quite frankly, these people piss me off. Uh, and I'm so right I'm there with you. Not in the mood. I am not in the mood to play games with these people, and I and I and I won't. Well, you know, there were a couple and of yes, and yes, I was armed. Wow. Uh, did they know that? I mean, my goodness, on the college campus. And- That's the beautiful thing about being about carrying concealed. No, I had a. Uh, no, I was I was carrying concealed, um, and and I, there were other people who I knew who were there who were carrying concealed. I I would not go into that environment without a firearm. I, I don't blame you, and it's it's a good thing, and, and thank God for uh, conceal. I mean, th- thank God that that we have today have that ability, and and you know, New Hampshire, the first in the nation in a number of things, and, and, and you know, you mentioned the red flag stuff. Um, I'm very concerned about where all of this is headed, especially with Pelosi's yeah, asinine comments about. Well, you know, we can. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm actually glad you brought that up because that was on my on my little checklist of things to uh, uh, to uh, to go down. Um, yeah, this this comment that she made today uh, about that. Uh, well, they could, you know, that 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 a, a Democratic president could declare a gun emergency. Um, you know, now you're really starting to get into the area that is going to trigger, I think, a lot of people. Listen, you know, I, you know, you and I have had conversations. I've known you for a long time, um, and and you know, going back to the days of Barack Obama when you had the the Tea Party groups and the Nine Twelve groups, and you know, you had the prepping groups that were really active, and people kind of thought, oh, you know, martial law and all that stuff. I, you know, I, I'm just looking at this this pace, this ever increasing frenetic pace of what's going on in this world today, and when you look at it from the totality of everything. 
we cannot continue to advance at the pace that we're at right now to pick up the intensity that we're picking up right now and not have some kind of a flashpoint. Um, and I just, I, I've said this before, you know, we've had conversations about this both on your program, on my program and off air. Where do I see this ending? I just don't see this ending well. We are getting to the point right now where somebody is going to do something stupid. And uh, I mean, it, to be honest with you, I don't, you know, and, and, and this is the thing, Every, you know, I, I talk about, you know, being willing to bowl somebody over in the middle of a, you know, a, in the middle of a college hallway. I have to stress this to people. I said this to somebody earlier today. I absolutely hate violence. I don't like violence. But I'm very, very skilled in its application. And I teach other people how to legally apply extreme amounts of violence. That, that's true, folks. I, I've seen that. that. I mean, f- folks, you, you want to you want a teacher. Uh, Keith Hansen is a is a great instructor, and I, I've seen that. You don't want to mess with uh, Keith Hansen, and certainly, if ever if ever you hear Keith Hansen talking about this or having a class about it, uh, sign up because the guy's a master at it. And that's my personal opinion based on my observations. Okay. Anyway. Oh, I appreciate that, and, yeah. and, and you know, but I, but but the, but the purpose of me saying this, I don't want to come across as like I'm I'm not one of these chest puffing bravado, you know, want to be tough guys. That's that's not my style. Anybody who knows me knows I go out of my way to avoid conflict, and I go out of my way to avoid confrontation because I know what I'm capable of. I know what my training permits me to do, and I don't want to have to do that. I don't ever want to have to do that. But if I get pushed into a corner. Then yes, I absolutely guarantee you that I, I will come out of that shell and I will unleash hellfire. And then once the threat has been neutralized, then I will go back to being a, 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 a peace loving and, and peace respecting person. I just don't want to be, just don't buy. And I think, you know, I think there's so many people out there that echo these sentiments. Just please, you know, General Mattis said it when he was addressing a group of, of Saudi Arabians. Please, with tears in my eyes, I beg you. Don't screw with me, because I'll kill you all. That was General Mattis's. Um, it's pretty clear. You know, you know, yeah. yeah. Listen, I beg you with tears in my eyes. Don't. And he, but he said, you know, don't f with me, because I'll I'll kill you all. Um, and and I think that's how a lot of people in this country today are. Just, I just listen. Had that just conversation with a family alone. member today, by the way. No, no, yeah, well, actually, a couple of people. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't send me uh-huh. emails. Um, <laughs> but no, sometimes you feel like it. But, uh, you know, but what you mentioned, somebody's going to do something stupid, and you can feel it. It's in the air. We know? already have seen that, that violence from the Antifa. Uh, no, we're talking something the shooting more. at the, the congressman at the softball game. Uh, back in May of 2017. But yes, it's ramping up into something much bigger. And we see the calls for the assassination attempts. We see the calls for the you know White House to be burned down. They are pushed. And then the media playing the victim card all the time while being actually yep. the enemy of the American people. Yeah, yeah. It's creating this perfect yep. storm. Yeah. Well, and, and, and like I said, I, you know, I, I don't advocate for this. Violence doesn't solve anything. Okay. Um, it, it really, I, I, it, it doesn't. I don't. I don't, don't want to see her. I don't want to see anybody in the position where they have to do that. I don't want to see this country in the position where we have to do that. Right. But you know, it, it's it's it, never underestimate the power of stupid people in large numbers. 
Boy, and that's the, that's worth that's saying again. That is seriously, you know, you saw that firsthand at Dartmouth. Um, it would not not an extremely large number of people, but and we recently saw that um, kind of in in reverse with that. Uh, fake Native American, you know, pounding the drum at the Capitol and the high school students. Nathan Phillips. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in reverse, yeah. basically. But anyway, uh, it, it seems like it's not going to. It's not going to be much. Um, I, I don't know. The anticipation right now is is pretty high on at least on our end, and that's not, you know, that's not celebratory anticipation or you know, Jay can't wait. It's I don't want to see it happen, and. I, I don't I don't know. So, but what you're right. And, and what you felt there, you, you know, at that at that at that speech with Dinesh D'Souza. Um how'd you feel? I mean there was a was there a palpable hatred there? I mean, um beyond the protest. You have got protests, you got you got, you got kids being college kids being stupid because they don't have a brain at that age. It's just a you know, skull full of I don't know what it is, mashed potatoes, but it certainly isn't a brain, you know, not formed. Uh, you know, no, well, no, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta correct you right there, though. Okay. These aren't stupid kids. These are not stupid kids. I mean, these are kids that are are are, are attending university at an Ivy League school. They're not. Stupid. What does that mean anymore? Though? <laughs> well, you see, but, but seriously, I, I, I get what you're saying, but but how many of those? Uh, otherwise intelligent Ivy League attendees, students, understand life, understand having to work for a living, uh, not not sucking on the teat of mommy and daddy, not driving daddy's BMW to school. Or the government. You know, yeah. or, or whatever. But I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but are they... Are, are they are they skilled in life at this point? No, man. They're just... I don't know. You wind them up, and you—I uh, I get that, I guess. But so, so you, you're, you're saying, hey, man, these these got you know these people are—they're not stupid. Um, no, I, I don't believe they are stupid. I just believe that they've been very, very compartmentalized. Um, and I mean, if if you grow up only knowing one thing, if you're only exposed to one philosophy, and that one philosophy is reinforced over and over and over and over again as dogma. And as fact, as irrefutable fact, and again, we've we've talked about the need to develop for the the need for one person to develop their own analytical framework, their own framework of analysis. How do you compare and contrast and think about things? There are very very intelligent people who, on the surface, are appear to be very stupid because their exposure to certain things is very limited. I do believe that these are these are smart kids. But they're brainwashed. They're indoctrinated. Ah. They have become indoctrinated in a postmodernistic system that only teaches them one viewpoint, one linear way of thinking, and does not either A, develop, or B, encourage the development of a critical thinking framework that allows them to compare and contrast various viewpoints to make a determination. That's what a college campus is supposed to be. And you know what? Really, up until the 60s and the 70s, when you start to see this encroachment of postmodernism, which has really taken over 
You know, we've talked a lot about Gramsci and, and institutional and cultural hegemony, and now we're talking about eugenics. But what we need to now start focusing on and what people need to understand is just how overwhelmingly pervasive this postmodern concept, this postmodernistic concept has become. Because when you take that that that, sta- that that standard social science model that we've talked about, that tabula rasa and the blank slate theory, and now you combine this with this, this postmodern concept, this is where you really start to see what we're seeing on, on, on in, first of all, in, in primary schools, in secondary schools, and then also in college campuses uh, across the country and, and certainly around the world. This is the becoming the the this this is the the predominant and the prevailing worldview. You're exactly right. Now, uh, and it's incredibly pervasive, and it's incredibly you know, and 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 the thing is, you know, we talk about useful idiots. We've defined the term useful yep. idiots, and the thing is that these people, these people who are the protesters, there, you know, they they possess a fragmented knowledge of really what it is that they're trying to achieve. They really don't know what it is that they're trying to achieve. But Good together, it, you know, they, they come together en masse, and this whole thing begins to play out. And, and quite frankly, it's, it's frightening. It, 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 stupidity feeds off itself, doesn't it? Especially in cases like this. Uh, um, I just want to mention this because I had read this book recently, uh, and regardless of what you think of the guy, the writer, the author, uh, the content of the book um, is great, Obama, the postmodern coup. And, you know, uh, that was written by Webster Griffin Tarpley, and, and his premise was that Obama, the megalomaniac, front man for a coup, a postmodern coup by the intelligence agencies, which we start off, they are talking about, um, you know, basically using fake polls and mobs and swarming adolescents and such super rich uh, backers and orchestrated media um, to short circuit uh, the system and, and, and to take over the system. And, and it, it, this is um, really interesting when you look at this in a larger scale, as you talked about from Gramsci uh, forward. So everything that you've talked about in the past is kind of coalescing right now. Mm -hmm. So anyway. And so, you know, and and when we talk about the, you know, the power of stupid people in large numbers, when you look at, you know, when you look at the mob mentality, okay, you have people that are very rational, but then all of a sudden when, when they, when they start to begin to behave collectively, you know, when you, it's almost like a pack of sharks. They're perfectly normal, and then all of a sudden they get into this feeding frenzy. Same thing with, you know, with criminal attacks. When we start talking about personal defense programs and personal safety programs, and we start talking about disparity of force, where, you know, you have a mob of people, five or six or seven or 15 or 20, that are now beating up on two or three people, and it, it becomes this mob mentality. You see it when, you know, you have riots in the streets and people are flipping over cars and throwing trash cans through windows and other people are cheering them on and it's it's they become almost intoxicated by this um uh, you know by the by the support and the encouragement that they're getting from their peers and so when you look at that when you look at the normalcy of criminal behavior within this mob frenzy and then you realize that you're talking about a people who have absolutely no interest in having a conversation there is no there, there is no ability to have a conversation. You know, people say all the time, "Well, you can't have an argument with a liberal." Well, you can't have an argument with a progressive. 
because based on it's 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 inherent to the philosophy of postmodernism. If you have a conversation, if you sit down and have a debate with somebody, then by virtue of the fact that the debate that you're debating them, you're in some way you're validating what their viewpoint is. I don't want to sit down and have a debate with you and validate what I know is inherently wrong. I just want to prevent you from exercising anything that allows you to propagate or spread what I believe to be wrong. I'm not going to validate that. So when you when you combine that that close-minded the, the close-mindedness of the individual when you add in the fact that there is no ability to compare and contrast, nor is there a willingness to compare and contrast, even if that ability existed, and then you look at mob mentality, I think you've got three key ingredients there for something that's incredibly explosive. Yeah, I was going to say when you when you take the when you take the debate away and you take the the dialogue away, what's left? I, I mean, it you, you come to blows or, or you, you exchange. Uh, you exchange lead. I, I mean, I I don't know what you have left. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm serious, and that's where we're at today. And but who exacerbated this ideological divide to to, to this extent? How did it get to this extent this quickly? And it's that's a complex question. But I would argue that uh, aside from the the balkanization through illegals coming in and settling here and failing to assimilate to the Ivy League uh, brainwashing in, in the Common Core brainwashing in, in the schools, uh, to the infiltration, communist infiltration of our government institutions. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we are here because of all of those. And, and again, I go back to what you said. Many times before, historically, when we look at this historically, this is how we got here. And, and, and I guess now, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, who's to say at Dartmouth, for example, that couldn't have turned ugly and, and quickly? And then what? Um, uh, I'm just saying. Well, I mean, it certainly isn't going to be the spark that ignites a you know a national uprising. But the thing is, is that I mean, that could have been very, it could have been very devastating, and it could have been very traumatic for people who were there. When I say traumatic, I mean you know from a, you know from certainly from a, um, from a personal safety standpoint. Sure. But but oh, you know? okay, but, but yeah, what what okay? You, you just said that that probably wouldn't have been very devastating. At what level? I guess I'm looking for um, – we're talking around maybe what could be the uh, – give me an example of what could be, be a spark that would really forever change the, the fabric nation and outlook of the country. I mean what, what could that one event be? Would it be the assassination of a, of a, of a government official, a high-ranking government official? Would it be I – mean, I mean for crying out loud, the, the traitorous actions of McCabe doesn't hasn't done it. Uh, the <laughs> because it doesn't because it doesn't it doesn't directly affect the individuals it doesn't it does when i let me rephrase that it doesn't directly impact negatively the citizens of this country All that right. there's a disconnect between the average citizen and what's going on in washington dc Okay. Uh, you know, if it, if it, and, and and you know, I've often, I, in in having conversations, especially going back into Barack Obama's presidency, 
well, when are you going to, you know, I, I, would, I would have a conversation with somebody and I would ask them, so when are you going to get personally involved? Well, when it comes to my doorstep. And I think that's what a lot of people, hey, listen, I really don't care what's happening in Washington, D.C. I don't care what's happening in Erie, Pennsylvania. But if it's on my doorstep, that's when I care. That's when I'm going to have to get involved. All right. But and so I think a lot of people that there's that disconnect. Well, I mean, unless and it, I mean, it goes back to the same principles that, you know, we're talking about when people are campaigning. You've got to hit them in the heart. You've got to hit them in the wallet. You've got to make it incredibly personal. Otherwise, people are going to be very apathetic. They're going to choose not to get involved because in the grand scheme of things, well, I've got a lot of other things that I have to worry about. I've got to worry about making sure that my kids get to school in the morning. I've got to make sure that the mortgage is paid. I've got to make sure that, you know, that the... Uh, you know, that the lawn gets mowed and that the, you know, the car payment gets made. I don't have time to worry about, oh, what's going on in Washington, D.C., because these, these, these aren't my problems. They are your problems, but they just don't impact your heart or your wallet. So you tend to look at it and go, oh, okay, well, that's nice. Hey, geez, I wonder what the Kardashians are doing this evening. So it, it, so what I hear you saying, I, I get the heart part, but I, I, I suspect the wallet would be the bigger motivator. So uh, unless you're affected financially, um, Unless the the guy out there, uh, uh, you know, running the lawn care business, unless it affects him uh, personally, financially, and, and adversely, yeah, it's okay. It's you know, politics as usual. Well, if it threatens, if it threatens the safety or the security or the well being or the financial well being of him or his family or those that he cares about directly. I mean, I'm talking, you know, the basically the first layer of separation in terms of loved one and family, then at that point, I would expect that that person would probably get involved. But when we're talking about people that I have no personal connection with, I don't know personally, they're not loved ones, they're not blood relatives, and these people are for the vast majority of Americans, these are faces that have only been seen on television, never in person. Well, you know, there is a disconnect with that. So what's the motivation for me to get involved? What's the motivation for me or anybody else? I'm not saying me, but just the average person you know, who's reading this in the newspaper or watching this on television. What is the motivating factor for that individual to get involved? It's well, it's not my it's not my it's not my battle. It's the same thing. Like you know, people people drive by a motor vehicle crash on the highway, and they go, "Well, yeah, it sucks to be them, but I'm sure somebody's going to come along and take care of this. I've got to get to work, or I've got to get to my meeting, or I've got to get my kids to daycare. I don't have time to stop and get involved in this." Right. It's not that until they're. The it's yeah. not until their personal uh, bottom line is effective, their lifestyle is affected, their uh, ability to do things like feed their family or, uh, you know, whatever it is that, that they are, are aiming to do in life. It's not until they are personally affected that they will see the need to get involved. And that is the problem with the majority of the American public. They're apathetic because they in, – in they're, whether it's because they're disinterested, it's uh, – uh, they don't like it or are not you know into the po- political world they just uh, disengage and because of that we have this void in this country and people are those same people are susceptible to the propaganda to the lies and to the manipulation uh, correct yeah well okay and then you have and then you have increasing numbers of kids that are 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 getting out of secondary school and and colleges that have now been indoctrinated with all of this different, you know, Marxist and and um, quasi-Marxist and 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 it, 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 
this you know now you have a group of people that are only able to see things in one particular direction in one particular way they don't have the ability to express themselves because if it happens to fall outside of the purview of what they've been taught they don't have words for it they don't have language for it and quite often the way that the the, the curriculums are are being constructed if it's something that happens to fall out of the purview of what they've been taught, they're not even going to be open to acknowledging because all they're seeing is another group of people that are trying to assert their power to try to dominate another group of people. You know, what you just said there, uh, we just had a guest uh, on the half hour before you came on, Matt Philbin, who's the cultural editor for MRC Newsbusters, newsbusters.org. Very good, extremely nice guy and very good at what he does culture editor there but he was talking about um his college age son and writing a paper and assisting his college age son in, in in this paper because what was what was being asked for or what what the college or university was looking for more appropriately what they were looking for was antithetical to the beliefs and to reality you know, so you can either, it, it, um, I don't know, t- t- I don't know what the subject was. He did not disclose it, but toss subject out there. Uh, let's say, um, uh, well, let's say eugenics, okay? Uh, you can either tell the real story or you can tell the story that they want to hear or, or any, whatever it might be. If you tell the real story, you're not going anywhere in that in that university. In fact, you, you know, the paper might be rejected or whatever it might be. So what what he said, you know, hey, I, my son fashioned it to give them the answers that they wanted to hear. They're, they weren't the right answers. They certainly weren't the answers that I agreed with or that meshed with reality. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, got them through the school. Man, to me, that's a big flipping problem. You know, if you've got to do that. So how do, is, is there any way we change that? What about, what about I mean... Can we fight at that level? I mean, we we, we got to pick a fight somewhere. And when I say pick a fight, I'm not talking about a fight fight. I'm talking about a battle, I suppose. Don't we? A, a, a way a, a way of being able to counter yes what the what the prevalent means of of distributing, dispersing, and disseminating this particular way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, what 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 needs to happen now more than ever. People need to be aware of what their children are being taught. They need to be aware of the curriculums that their children are being exposed to. And if at all possible, they need to get their kids out of these government-run schools and into either classical academies or into homeschooling environments where the parents directly control the philosophy and the curriculum that their children are being exposed to now more than ever. Because I've talked to so many people, guys, that – they send their kids off and you know they've done a great job of raising their children in a in a religious and a christian household in a conservative household and these kids go off to college and they come back 4 years later not even after 4 years they come back after after 1 year after their freshman year of college and the parents don't recognize their children yeah i mean it's sad. literally it, it's 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 literally taken 1 academic year to transform this child into a useful idiot. And, and uh, was it you and I that talked about this, or um, I, I don't know? We, maybe we had a guest on earlier this week. Um, for every year, and Joe, help me out. Who said this? For if it takes twelve years to change um, 
Yeah. Uh, to indoctrinate somebody, it yeah, takes uh, the tw- same amount of time, if not more, to, to unscrew them, indoctrinate them. But yeah. I don't believe that's true in every case, though. And and I'll, just from my own experience, because uh, you know I, I wasn't one who paid that close attention to politics coming out of high school. But some it was nine eleven uh, and a combination of other things where something just clicked, and I started looking at things differently. Started researching. Within a year, I had a whole different worldview than I never had before, or even cared about before. So I think it's different for some people. But, but, but I was but also never but, into yeah. That, that was a mind of mush, though that right. you had. So right, the mind of mush. Right. Uh, I mean, it, it, it was just a lump of play doh up there. Okay. And, and uh, f- okay. Again, don't send me. No. Up. Seriously, it was uh, you know sports and yeah, uh, exactly you know, things that normal teenagers care about. I guess. Yeah. So okay, but, but I think you're right. It, 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 we we have to is okay. So are we going to have to choose a, a, a hill to die on? Is is that um, or which hill to die on? Is that where we're at? I mean, uh, and man, that's a tough I, question. Well, I, uh, Maybe that's an unfair question. I don't know. Because I, I, you know, well, I mean, uh, you know, what, what, I mean, uh, explain what you mean a little bit. More. I, I guess, I, I guess, we we have many opportunities, many areas that we can fight. Uh, you know, uh, whether it's hey uh, to the school board, get Common Core the hell out of there. Uh, out of there. Don't be teaching my kid that there's 86 genders or whatever it is. And a man's a man, a woman's a woman. Biology is what it is, and um, shut the heck up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so do we go in there and, and kind of uh, flame out there? I, I don't want to say flame out, but you know, really go at it there, or do we go at it um, at, at another level? We'll say that uh, local politics in in um, in the uh, taxation realm, uh, property, you know, realm, or do, do we go at it? Uh, or, 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 or do we do it all at once? I mean, we're, what, what situation it, you know, attack? That's, a, that, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I had on my show this morning, I had one of the, uh, the local members, uh, one of the members of the local city council, uh, the, the city of Lebanon. Um, and so she was announcing that, I guess last Friday, it was the, uh, the, the deadline for filing. Recently, they had their deadline for filing for uh, candidates for the city council and the school committee and all this. Um, and then earlier in the week, I also had the town administrator for the town of New London, which is where my radio studio is located. And so one of the things that I've been talking about with town administrators and, and county managers and all of these different people is, well, how do we get more people to become active in local politics. Okay, well, you know, you've got a local school board, and the school board is approving a budget, and this budget is going to put $2.50 per mill onto your property taxes based on your assessed value and all this stuff. But nobody shows up to town meetings. Nobody runs for office. You know, and and I'm going to seemingly contradict what I said earlier, but this is an interesting phenomenon. You have people who are never, ever, ever going to have the ability to make any kind of significant impact on what goes on in Washington, D.C. And in fact, most of the people, again, are out of reach, out of touch. Most of the people, they've never even seen these people face-to-face. They're just faces that they see on television and names that they hear on, on TV, on radio, that they read in newsprint. But they're so concerned about what's going on in D.C., but where they can actually have a demonstrable impact 
which is right there on the local level, on their school board, on their town committee, on the board of selectmen, whatever the case may be, however your particular you know, uh, municipal government is structured. People tend not to get involved. They sit back and they bitch and complain. But then, you know, when there's a when there's a warrant article that appears, or when there's a, a budget meeting that appears, you know, you get five or six people that show up. Yes. Nobody else is nobody else is showing up, and and so I, you know, I. That's a good I, answer. I guess I, because I, it, it's, I fell in the same thing. And we only have about two minutes left before we have a hard break and they'll let you toss, but a minute left. But yeah, look, it happened to me too. Uh, my neighborhood uh, township, they wanted to do something. I, I was against it, so I showed up. That was the first, first and probably the last time I showed up. So uh, I could I could do more on my end. Well, you're right. Yep. Right? Yeah, we all could. Yeah, I mean, you know, but the but the but the issue is that you know people don't want to get involved. People want to sit back Monday morning quarterback what's already happened, that which they did not take an active role in deciding the outcome of, and then bloviate and complain about how well you know this is broken and that is broken. So you know what do we do? Well, I mean, first and foremost, we we you've got to start protecting your children. And you've got to pay attention to what your children are being exposed to. If your children are in, and again, when we use that term public school, replace the word public with government run. So that way there you truly understand the the scope of what you're dealing with. This is not a public school. It's a government run school. Very well said. Keith Hanson. Wow. You've got to get involved. WNTK yeah. out of New Hampshire. Keith, thank you so much for spending God, your time with man, us tonight. Great. That went so fast, and we look forward to having you back on next week. Folks, tune in to Keith Hansen every morning. WNTK is the place. Have a good night, WNTK. Keith. WNTK.com. Thanks, Keith. Thank you, guys. All right, God bless. All right. We'll be right back after this short break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this Valentine's Day 2019 edition of the Hagman Report. Reporting on what the mainstream media won't, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on the Global Star Radio Network. the new world order you're listening to the hagman and hagman report on the global star radio network stand by doug and joe will be back shortly
Putting truth into action, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report, streaming live on the Global Star Radio Network. Please stand by. Doug and Joe will be back momentarily. It's a throwback to the old Hagman and the Hagman report. It's a throwback to the old Hagman report. We're actually not doing video this evening. And you're going to see this coming up where we're not going to be doing video for uh, a number of days. Not, not anytime like real soon, but soon for a couple of days. And then when we come back, you're going to be extremely surprised. And it's not, it's not cosmetically necessarily, but, uh, it's, it's, it's because we, are growing. And I've got to say this, um, our reach, and I want to thank you. And I want to thank every, each and every listener for extending our reach, whether it's through word of mouth or whatever. I, I've had people, um, numerous people now, just in the last, I don't know, couple of months, uh, if I'm out and I, if I have to say my name or whatever, uh, they say, Hey, I know you. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, um, more and more people are listening to this broadcast, and we're actually, uh, my goodness, I don't know how many countries, but uh, what was it? Just recently, hundreds of millions of uh, minutes of downloads, um, and their reach is just expanding. And it's because of people like Keith Hansen, and uh, obviously uh, our, our guest now is Peter Barry Chowk. He's more than a guest. He's part of the program. He's become an institution. Before I get to him, I, I want to mention that uh, I, I referenced uh, – the postmodern Obama, the postmodern coup by by Tarpley, and again, it, you don't have to. It doesn't matter. The information is what's important. And I remember reading about um, how well Brzezinski, Zygmunt Brzezinski, um, the guy that really dominated Carter. And if you go back, what uh, how many years ago, um, Brzezinski in his recruitment of Obama at Columbia, the Trilateral Commission co-founder, really who wants a a global showdown, or wanted, I should say, uh, or orchestrated a global showdown with the superpowers. He's one of the most... uh, uh, You talk about a He was a genius, only an evil genius. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he was writing about the, you know, I, I mentioned in reference the interview we did with Patrick Wood yesterday on the scientific dictatorship that was uh, growing and about to encompass the whole earth. He wrote about, he wrote a book about that and back in 1954 and talked about every facet yeah. of it. And yeah. I've pretty much mem- memorized that book. I've read it so much that it falls apart at the no, scene. No, no, you got, no, you got Mika, the, uh, the spawn. Um, she doesn't hold a candle to her. Well, no, no, I mean, she's, she's, Mush for brains. Um, now, the opposite of mush for brains is the intellect that we've got uh, via Peter Barry Chaka. Peter, thanks for coming on, man. Oh, thank you, Doug and um, Joe. And it's interesting to be referred to as an institution now. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to think of that. I'll have to meditate on that. But, I'm not sure. You know, I, I'm not sure. I, I just, you know, words just kind of fall out of my mouth. It just happens. So sorry about that. No problem. And, 
you know, I've been enjoying the throwback tonight to audio only radio. It's it's actually has a lot to be said for it. Although there is a difference between now and the old days when you were on audio radio only in the early days with Hagman Report, because the sound quality now is high definition, even if there's no video. So we can sit back and appreciate that. But uh, you know, about a half hour ago, I was listening to the whole show. And Keith Hansen said something that uh, I, I took notice, and uh, we used to say ROTFL, rolling on the floor laughing. He said this, quote, never underestimate the power of stupid people in large numbers, end quote. And I thought that was so perfect, and that would actually make a great book title, I think. You, you know, sadly, it would, and sadly, it's a true statement. And sadly, we see it happening more and more. And, and the stupid people are turning to uh, violence and, and, and beyond stupid. So, yeah. And they have, they have elected, uh, with the help of the media and the rest of the establishment, they've, they've elected stupid people, equally stupid people, who are now in policymaking positions. And that's what's really frightening and new. But... Um, I wanted to start with this. Uh, oh, by the way, I, I, I think I have uh, – I, I did listen to the whole show to this point, and there's been a lot of news today, and hopefully um, some or most of what I'm going to report on will be new and breaking. But just to start with this first, two days ago, I discovered that my one appearance on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie back in 2007 – is online as part of the show that night, April 24th, 2007, and the audio of it is on YouTube. So I tweeted a link to this, and I also listened to it for the first time since 2007. And on that show, I was part of a panel on alternative medicine, which is what I was reporting on a lot at that point, although increasingly about the politics of medicine. And I had about 20 minutes on the show that night. It was a quick hit. But I spent much of the time warning about the looming dangers of socialized medicine. And this was three years before the passage of Obamacare. And, of course, what we see now, 12 years later, the mad rush to single-payer, government-controlled socialized medicine, uh, kind of the Soviet, Cuba, Venezuela model that's being pushed by pretty much the entire Democrat parties so um i would recommend to people if they would like to check this out to uh go to my twitter at p chowka p c h o w k a and follow the link to it and it's a concise 20 minutes and if you're interested in medical freedom in having access to innovative alternative natural medicine which we have had access to with ups and downs in this country going back to the founding fathers and which is really in danger now. If you're interested in any of that, you should really check out that show because I talk about how socialized medicine, government-centric medicine would basically be the death knell of medical freedom and choice, including our rights to alternative natural medicine. And this Green New Deal that we're hearing so much about now, as introduced by Representative Ocasio-Cortez, 
uh, last week with with some other Democrats, and and she's getting tremendous support from Democrat politicians in the House and the Senate and the ones who have declared for president supporting various aspects of the Green New Deal, if not the whole thing in totality, that this, again, is beyond frightening. But part of the Green New Deal is socialized government-controlled medicine. So how far we've come in only 12 years since that coast-to-coast AM broadcast and i want to reflect on something briefly I'll, that, just, I'll just say this I, to, to those people sure. who don't think this is real and what peter uh, is talking about um between 2007 now okay things have changed so much today all right uh because of the affordable care act it has made uh well i, I don't want to get too personal except to say i'm out about a grand today okay because of the socialized medicine and uh what Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act has done to the insurance industry. And it has, it's hitting home on every front, and people need to rise up and say, you know what, this is crap, and we can't have this. Without getting too personal, though, you're going through an issue where, I mean, you're paying a, a, a nice premium every month, and now you're being denied medicine yeah. Um, yeah. that be, was yeah. covered under, you know. And so it's it's a constant battle, from a even private though. To, from a, yeah, from a private care. You know, 400% more in premiums yeah. every month you're paying, and then they're still, they're, now they're not even covering medicine that was covered before. It's just ridiculous. It's always a fight. So, and, and I'm convinced, and I had this conversation with uh, probably my previous doctor now, uh, basically the, the, the the insurance companies or or the um, the government just wants us dead. That's all they want us dead. So they want our tax I'm, money I'm, first. I'm taxed and dead. Come on. Yeah, right. absolutely. And you know, taking it back to where it was even two years before two thousand seven. Now this is two thousand five. That summer, uh, I got uh, apprised of a development in California. There was a proposal by a extreme left-wing state legislator in California who introduced a bill in the state legislature for single-payer health care on the state level. And that was the first attempt of its kind in any state in the United States. Actually, the next year, something similar passed in Massachusetts as championed by Mitt Romney. But in 2005 in California... I got onto that and I started talking about it, doing talk shows, wrote some articles. And of course, the first thing I did was uh, to look for who was supporting it and who was opposing it. I found that there were thousands of supporters for this socialist, Marxist, communist, mandated uh, single payer state medical scheme as proposed by this leftist Democrat. Thousands of supporters, labor unions, organizations, socialist doctor organizations, even the California Association of Naturopathic Physicians, which supposedly, uh, well, it's a group that uh, champions natural health care. They supported this thing because they are leftists. You know how many I thought, well, there's going to be people opposing this. There's going to be groups opposing this. I found exactly one opposition, one op-ed published in the Orange County Register. I couldn't find any other negative comments about this thing. Now, fortunately, it did not come to pass in California at that point. But less than four years later, 
Obamacare did pass in the House of Representatives and the United States Senate, and that was the beginning of the end of medical freedom in the United States. And now we're on the verge of a complete government takeover. There, there are over 10 million Americans employed in various aspects of the healthcare medical sector in this country. Not only doctors and nurses, but uh, pharmacists, you know, the whole panoply of support people who work in healthcare. And soon, if the Democrats get their way, all of them may be either working for or having to kowtow to the federal government because of the hundreds of thousands of pages of additional regulations that will be crammed down our throats if single-payer communist medicine passes in this country. So I continue to pay attention to that because the, the Democrats, every last one of them, it seems, no matter if they're on the left, the far left, or what passes for the center in the Democratic Party, which is, of course, left, they all support mandatory socialist Marxist communist health care. So yeah. and Peter, God help us about- on that score. Uh, which really, as you said, come under, came under came to fruition under Obama. Now, I'm looking at a, a document here. It's called "What Is Precision Medicine," and it talks about this was launched into the spotlight in 2015. The Precision, Precision Medicine Initiative was mentioned in the final State of the Union address under Obama, and what this does is it brings a more personalized. Uh, touch to medicine and refocuses the collecting of multiple forms of data, harnessing the power of big data analysis and focusing on individual responsibility versus systematic intervention. And it goes into a much greater detail from uh, uh, everything from mapping the human genome for every individual to the electronic health records where everybody would be uh, part of this electronic uh, network that whether it's an RFID chip or some other form of digital uh, medical records would be able to be monitored in real time by doctors. And this was actually allowed, passed under the Health Information Technology and Economic Clinical Health Act, the High Tech Act, uh, two years before 2015. So uh, they have the the uh, plans in place. They have the uh, laws in place. They have the means, the technological capabilities. It's just about building the network now and getting the people to to sign on to it. Obviously, incentivizing those who do so at first, but it will be mandatory uh, sooner rather than later. One of your guests uh, last evening on the Hagman Report, Patrick Wood, was particularly good, and including on the subject when he mentioned the electronic medical records and the so-called evidence-based medicine, which is part of that technocracy matrix. And uh, I've written about that myself. I wrote two lengthy articles at American Thinker in 2007 about electronic medical records and so-called evidence-based medicine. And uh, it is, it, it's, it's an oppressive, uh, fascistic, technocratic model, which again is going to completely deprive us of medical freedom and choice bring in death panels and bring in the kind of things we're seeing now with the abortion debate basically in infanticide but uh, there was another story uh, that broke yesterday and got very little attention because of all the other breaking news and this was a study uh, showing that a serious study that showing that voter ID does not suppress turnout it's published that. by the national 
the National Bureau of Economic Research, one of the co-authors was Vincent Pons, P-O-N-S, of the Harvard Business School. And uh, the abstract is online, and I'm going to get a full copy of it. But just to quote a few lines from the abstract, U.S. states increasingly require identification to vote, an ostensive attempt to deter fraud that prompts complaints of selective disenfranchisement. And I would add here that uh, Georgia Democrat governor candidate Stacey Abrams made this allegation, voter suppression. She made that a central part of both her campaign for governor and it emerged as uh, when she emerged as a sore loser when she lost and never conceded uh, to her opponent. She claims the victory was stolen from her last November because of, quote, voter suppression. So this is another hot topic for the Democrats, obviously. But to continue, uh, the abstract says we find the laws, voter ID laws, have no negative effect on registration or turnout overall or for any group defined by race, gender, age or party affili- affiliation. ID requirements have no effect on fraud, either actual or perceived. Overall, our research suggests that efforts to reform voter ID laws may not have much impact on elections. So the next time you hear these Democrats uh, screaming like Abrams does nonstop, uh, including, I think, when she gave the answer to the State of the Union, I mean, just watching that woman, I, I, I thank God that she hasn't been elected to anything yet, but don't count her out. Uh, The Democrats are running around saying, oh, the racist Republicans are trying to suppress vote, throw minorities, people of color off the voter rolls. Not only is it BS, but voter ID requirements have no impact on elections. That's right. That's like saying Uh, that, uh, you know, uh, getting the need or uh, rules to have a driver's license that you know, minority communities are, are shouldn't have to get driver's licenses because they're, they're you know, so disenfranchised, they're unable to do so. And I saw a man on the street interview, I forget who conducted it, it was very popular at the time, where somebody went into a lot of different communities asking this question, you know, are you able to get to the DMV? Do you have an ID? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Would it matter if you had to show an ID to vote? And it showed that people were actually uh, kind of offended that people in the Democratic Party were saying they're using this as an excuse uh, voter suppression, but the report you are referring to, the Washington Free Beacon posted an article about it, and I have that up on Hagman Report from uh, yesterday or the day before. So if you hit the load more button, it's loaded on February twelfth, folks. If you want to find that link to that article, great. And and here's another story which goes back to the medical. And this story just broke uh, this morning by Bloomberg, The Hill, and some other publications. And here was Bloom's, Bloomberg's headline of their article today. Facebook, facing lawmaker questions, says it may remove anti-vaccine recommendations. Here's the lead line. Facebook, Inc., under pressure to reduce harmful, misleading, and fake content, said it is exploring removing anti-vaccine information from software systems that recommend other things to read on its social network. Now, The Hill advanced the story. This is from The Hill this morning. And it involves our friend Adam Schiff as well. Representative Adam Schiff, Democrat, California, sent a letter to Facebook and Google on Thursday, that is today, expressing concern that their platforms recommend anti-vaccination information. Quote, 
as a member of Congress who is deeply concerned about declining vaccination rates, I am requesting additional information on the steps that you currently take to provide medically accurate information on vaccinations to your users and to encourage you to consider additional steps you can take to address this growing problem, end quote. Schiff wrote to CEOs Mark Zuckerberg and Sundar Pichai, if that's how that's pronounced. Uh, quote, Schiff again, quote, I was pleased to see YouTube's recent announcement that it will no longer recommend videos that violate its community guidelines, such as conspiracy theories or medically inaccurate videos, and encourage further action to be taken related to vaccine misinformation, end quote of Representative Schiff. Now, this is but one of the things that the control of the House of Representatives by the Democrats, thanks to last November's midterms, is now leading to censorship of social media on steroids, as if it wasn't bad enough, as all, all the things we've been experiencing and reporting on in the last year, the shadow banning, the uh, gutting of the ability to monetize social media platforms for the people who do that. Now it's getting into the government calling for these social media platforms, which have monopolies, to literally censor out information that people the likes of Adam Schiff disagree with. Yeah, and you know, this is uh, something that is really frustrating for us. We, And I'm sure you too, Peter, as you see, we've all dealt with this on a regular basis, the censorship, YouTube banning, shadow banning on Twitter, the suspensions on Facebook. It, it, they are pushing the perversion and, and this liberal ideology down our throats at the same time. Any attempt to counter it with logical, reasonable content is being censored or labeled as conspiracy theory. And even uh, Newsbusters had a interesting piece up about the vaccines today where uh, I think it was titled the uh, AB Network's push um, – ABC worries about anti-vaccine celebrities, forgets it has one as a host on the same network. But there, the, the global warming denial, uh, man-made global warming denial, is on the uh, tip of the spear as far as censorship is concerned. And now it looks like the vaccines or anti-vaccine sentiment is also going to be there uh, under the conspiratorial banner. And now YouTube is implementing new algorithms to remove what they consider conspiratorial videos to be put on the uh, list of videos. When you watch something, you get recommendations that come up on the right. They're creating new algorithms to remove what they deem to be conspiratorial videos or topics from that list of your recommended videos. So it's a multi-pronged attack against a, a dissenting opinion from their own. Absolutely. And just as an aside, speaking of social media and the, the big tech tyranny of social media, uh, Dr. Robert Epstein, who I interviewed last September 4th on the Hagman Report, he's the leading or one of the leading uh, academic critics of the tyranny of social media. He's about to come out with some research which he's done since the midterm elections. By the way, he predicted before the midterms that millions of votes could be shifted towards the left by the activities of uh, Google, Facebook, Twitter, etc. But in the wake of the midterm election and the results, he now has research, which he is going to release shortly, putting an actual number or an estimate on the number of votes that were shifted to the left. So uh, 
Maybe I'll try to get him back for an interview. I know he's very busy, but he, he did an exceptional interview last September 4th and is, is, is one of the few people seriously looking at this issue with his uh, researchers he's associated with at a high academic level. And, uh, of course, the story is it no longer has legs because it got some publicity before the election, but I haven't seen him prominently uh, in the media uh, since then. Another story that The Hill broke today, titled Rule Change Sharpens Democrat Investigations into Trump. A change to House rules is putting sharper teeth into Democratic investigations of President Trump and his administration. The change allows staff of House committees, which are now, of course, controlled by Democrats, to conduct depositions without any lawmakers present, freeing up the panels to move through witnesses and their investigations quickly without the constraints of the previous Congress. The change will offer Democrats on powerful House committees, including intelligence, oversight and reform and judiciary, substantial momentum as they open wide ranging probes into Trump, producing new headaches for the White House as the president readies his re-election bid, end quote. So another uh, mega, mega, headache, no, mega headache that we're all going to be experiencing because of the results of last November's midterms, which may have been influenced to the tune of millions of votes, according to Dr. Epstein, by the machinations of a big tech tyranny social media uh, i noticed this story at drudge today linked to a story that retail d- despite the appearances of the economy doing quite well retail sales uh, plummeted the most recently in a decade and there was another article reporting on uh, more massive numbers of chain stores closing there, there's a uh, a chain store that's kind of like similar to target Uh, Not as well known, although they have about 500 stores, mostly in flyover states, called Shopco. And they are now closing in one fell swoop, or about to 80% or several hundred of their remaining stores. Uh, Of course, Sears is hanging on, Sears Kmart hanging on by a thread. And there were several other uh, mall clothing store chains mentioned, which are, are just going out of business so uh meanwhile now this this news came out today that um uh, elizabeth warren and ocasio cortez celebrated amazon canceling their plans for a major headquarters in new york city now i'm not sure myself i feel about uh well i know how i feel about amazon i'm not sure how i feel about this proposal but in any case it was supposed to bring 25,000 new jobs to New York City as they're going to build this enormous headquarters in in New York, a borough of New York. And it would result in over, uh, if, if Fox News is correct, over $25 billion in tax revenue for New York City and state over the next quarter century. It had been opposed by Ocasio-Cortez and other extreme leftists because uh, they don't like uh, corporations. So Amazon issued a statement as they were pulling out, and this is their brief statement. While polls show that 70% of New Yorkers support our plans and investment, 
a number of state and local politicians have made it clear that they oppose our presence and will not work with us to build the type of relationships that are required to go forward with the project that we and so many others envisioned in Long Island City, New York. End quote. So I think the bottom line here is that uh, in, even in this new world of Amazon, which we can have plus or minus feelings about, uh, the Democrat, socialist, Marxist, communists would rather see their constituents on the dole rather than uh, bring 25,000 new paying jobs to New York City and a tremendous amount of tax revenue over over the coming year. Because as we've been reporting, as I've been reporting too for the past year, the Democrats have now openly identified themselves as socialists. But in reality, of course, uh, they are full-bore Marxists and communists. And how long will it be until they identify themselves as communists? Because that term, communist, is now being uh, dusted off and uh, sweetened up, and it's appealing to a lot of people. And, and even long, long-time members – I mean, I, I don't think there's any, any more moderates left in the Democratic Party. I mean, an example uh, – uh, long-time members of Congress have turned radical. For example, John Dingell, who was retired, of course, and he died last week at age 92. He, he's the longest-serving member of the House of Representatives in American history. I think he served 59 years, and now his wife is in there, and his father served for two decades before him. So that family has controlled that congressional seat in Michigan for something like 85 or 90 years now. It's unbelievable. Anyway, shortly before he died, last December 4th, a chapter from his last book was published in The Atlantic titled, I Served in Congress Longer Than Anyone, Here's How to Fix It, end quote. And among other things, he recommended abolishing the United States Senate, publicly funding elections, and automatically registering everyone to vote when they reach, reach age 18. And that's similar to what California has been doing since last April 1st. Everyone who has a driver's license is automatically registered vote to vote in the state of California in all elections, I guess federal as well, including the more than 1 million illegal aliens who have been given driver's licenses in the state of California. So, uh, I mean, uh, these stories, I think, paint the picture. You know, you just you just look at the news on any day now, and there's an avalanche of stories like this. And, and you know, now, uh, what's making this shift to the far left possible, of course? I mean, the Democrats aren't doing this on their own. And I would argue that they are leading in part, but they couldn't lead this far to the left unless they were following these stupid people that Keith Hansen referred to in the last segment. Never underestimate the power of stupid people in large numbers. Now, back on January 29th, Frank Luntz, the Republican pollster, appeared on Laura Ingram's primetime show on Fox News. And uh, there's an article about this at, uh, well, actually, the transcript of this is online at Fox News, as are all of Laura Ingram's shows, as well as the other primetime shows. 
Here's what Frank Luntz said uh, on that program uh, as a result of polling that he had just done. Quote, Frank Luntz, quote, we polled 18 to 29-year-olds. 58% of them believe socialism is a better economic system than capitalism. Only 34% chose capitalism. The remainder actually chose communism. So you now have a majority of young people who believe in Bernie Sanders, and that number has been increasing over time. If you go back 25 years, only a third of young people fell that way. Do they become more conservative over time? Absolutely. But we've never had a young generation who are more ideologically attuned, or I'm sorry, more ideologically unattuned to what their parents and their grandparents think, end quote. So that's... If I can just just share something with you. Please. It was 1976, I think it was. I was, uh, back then you could um, go in any any of these, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the bookstore. You know, um, not Barnes & Noble, but uh, back then it was... uh, Borders? No, no, even pre-borders. Crown books? uh, I I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But, you know, uh, on the... Double day. No, not double day. Was it double day? No, (laughs) no. But but by the cash register, um, back 76, roughly, you could buy Mao's Little Red Book. And you know right. anyone, anyone in in, in the university type uh, environment or whatever, uh, was a dollar. Who, oh yeah, and and they were all carrying you know Mao's little red book, and I figure oh well, I, don't, I I don't want to be any different, so you know I think uh, I think it was a buck six uh, paid for it, and and you know walking around with it, and I remember a teacher coming to me one time and said, "Son," and I I'm t- honest to God, here's what he said. What in the hell is wrong with you? Okay, now, um, <laughs> he had a crew cut, former Marine. And, and I said, what? And he said, what you carrying around there? Do you know what you're carrying around there? Miles' little red book. Have you read Miles' little red book? And, and actually, I hadn't at that time. He said, what is wrong with you, boy? <laughs> and I just never forget that. But, but you know, uh, it, it's interesting um, when you bring up communism and stuff like that. Uh, I just wanted to tell that story just because it just was, felt like a good story to tell at the time. Well, but, and it's relevance, Doug. It's relevance beyond the color commentary is that the people who actually did read that book and the books like it, Saul Alinsky, for example, and took it very much to heart are now in power. And the other people who read that book and absorbed it and the Communist Manifesto and all the rest – have been teaching young people since uh, the 1980s and and really turbocharging that education, uh, you know, starting in the 90s and right up till today when the campuses, uh, like the media, are close to 100% socialist, Marxist, communist indoctrination. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're in a very deep hole here. And uh, excuse me, I just bumped the mic. I hope that didn't... Uh, I've been I've been following. My ears are bleeding about, now. Thanks. Oh no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, oh, no, it's oh. fine. I uh, it's fine. I, uh, I get I get I get I get more gesturing here on the radio. You know, if you could only see me now, but it's a whole different performance when it's audio only. Oh, oh but by the way, uh, uh, I, m- many many uh, emails saying, "Hey, 
we miss Lulu and Biggie, so you'll have to post a couple of pictures. They will return, assuming we're on uh, video Monday. On, yes. uh, Lulu and Biggie will be freshly groomed for their reappearance <laughs> okay. on Monday. Maybe no. I'll try to treat them, teach them some new tricks. And there's a, there's a new stash of catnip, so well supplied for their needs. Now you and stay that out usually of that. gets them. <laughs> for them, you know. Yes, I I have a I have a, a bottle of French wine for later after the show there with dinner. Go. But uh, you know, I've been I've been uh, increasingly following growing anti-Semitism in the United States, uh, which of course is being led by the left and the Democrats, but it's also cropping up. Uh, truth be told, on the conservative right. But uh, right now, I just want to focus on uh, these two new Muslim members of Congress. You know, uh, Ilhan Omar tweeted last weekend uh, what was perceived as anti-Semitic tweets. And uh, uh, finally, the leadership or some of the leadership of the Democrat Party, including Nancy Pelosi, uh, kind of gently chastised her, criticized her. And so, predictably, Ilhan Omar uh, apologized, uh, you know, uh, not really an apology, but it was sort of an apology. But I noticed that yesterday, sitting on the, the committee that she's sitting on, she absolutely savaged Elliot Abrams, who I believe is Jewish, by the way, who is President Trump's special representatives to and for Venezuela, and if you saw any of that video, of course, it brought to mind what uh, Kamala Harris and some of the other uh, obnoxious and graceless Democrats have done to members of the Trump administration when they've been testifying before House or Senate committees recently. And again, this is turbocharged now with these Muslims, which have who have, in my opinion, no class at all. And of course, um, uh Representative Omar is the one who succeeded Keith Ellison, uh, the other Muslim uh, who went on to become the attorney general of uh, the, the state. Of, yeah. Right. Now, meanwhile, we have a representative Rashida Talib, and I confirmed the pronunciation of her name shortly before the program. Rashida Talib, Democrat of Michigan, uh, wrote an op-ed Though this this news came out uh, yesterday, no, actually on the 11th, two days ago, three days ago, uh, she wrote an op-ed in 2006 for Louis Farrakhan's publication, Final Call of the Nation of Islam, which routinely publishes virulent anti-Semitic content. And this is uh, the credit for this report goes to freelance journalist Gerald Beer. Uh, according to a National Review article on the subject, which continues, Talib argues in the op-ed, which is dated October 4th, 2006, and was resurfaced by Beer, that illegal immigrants should not face criminal charges or be deported for violating immigration law. Farrakhan, meanwhile, the leader of the Nation of Islam, has long been known as an outspoken anti-Semite. In February 2006, months before Talib's piece was published, he accused Jews of promoting homosexuality in order to harm the African-American community. Uh, 
Let's see. Okay, here's a quote from Farrakhan, February 26, 2006. Quote, these false Jews promote the filth of Hollywood that is seeding the American people and the people of the world and bringing you down in moral strength. It's the wicked Jews, the false Jews that are promoting lesbianism, homosexuality. It's the wicked Jews, false Jews that make it a crime for you to preach the word of God. Then they call you homophobic, end quote. Farrakhan said during the Savior's Day speech on February 26, 2006. Now, of course, what's interesting is that some of us might agree that Hollywood is, in fact, seeding the American people with, with some of this uh, nonsense, but obviously to attribute it to <laughs> exclusively, as he does, the wicked Jews, the false Jews. I mean, please. So here, this, this was, uh, you know, one of... Uh, Representative Talib's, I guess, favorite places to publish, just like her predecessor, former representatives and now Attorney General of the state of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, actually was joined at the hip with uh, Nation of Islam and Farrakhan somewhat earlier in his career. So, I mean, couldn't have this been predicted when you see these people running for office and, of course, the mainstream media or – uh, is not going to call attention to their records, just the, as the media avoided and ignored the curious, if not largely non-existent, background and record of Barack Hussein Obama when he catapulted on the scene in 2007-2008, and he was able to run a stealth campaign as kind of a centrist moderate, and look what happened when he took over, the transformation of America became turbocharged, and here we are 10 years later, really realizing uh, what that was about and, interestingly and living enough, out the consequences. That, that stealthness continues. I was listening to, I don't know if it was Hannity or Limbaugh in the car today running some errands, but they read a report of the USA Today and the net worth, or maybe it was Michael Savage, and the net worth of um, the uh, 10 wealthiest presidents throughout history, and they said, you know, in today's value, George Washington would be worth $535 million. Uh, J John F. Kennedy was up there with a billion. But they said, just like Obama's presidency and the record surrounding his presidency, the net worth of Obama is uh, shrouded in mystery, as they only have him listed in this USA Today article as worth $40 million. Yet we know he got a $70 million advance on the book deal. He got the Netflix special, on and on and on and on. So the secrecy continues even today. Uh, concerning things like these, his original records and now even more uh, current financial records. Yeah. Now, there's another, there's another, there's a colleague of Ocasio-Cortez and uh, Representative Talib and uh, uh, the other one, Representative Omar. Uh, this one is also from New York City, like Ocasio-Cortez, and her name is uh, Representative Nydia or Nydia, N-Y-D-I-A, Velasquez. She's another uber radical. And uh, she told a pro-Trump teenage pundit named C.J. Pearson that, quote, you are right to be afraid of us, end quote. After he tweeted a reference to her and acknowledged her as the woman sitting next to Representative Ocasio-Cortez at the State of the Union. And for some reason, Representative Velasquez took offense at this mention. So she tweeted back, hi, C.J. Pearson, I'm not 
the woman sitting next to her, I and millions like us are the future of this country and you are right to be afraid of us. But you should learn my name and quote from her tweet that is still online. So they are now warning uh, politically active conservative teenagers, quote, you're right to be afraid of us. Isn't that just wonderful? Just you know, wonderful. It's in a way, I'm kind of glad that's come out um, because, well, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad they said that. I'm glad because I think now the mass, all the masks are coming off. We we really have to identify the enemies. You're good at identifying the enemies. Um, and now I, I don't agree with them saying, you know, I'm not afraid of them and I'm not, but, but the fact that they said it in that fashion, it was said in that fashion is important to me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, and this is, this is the test, you know, we are now facing, in my opinion, the greatest test of our lives, however old we are, if we're 30, 40, 60, 70, 80, this is the greatest test facing us in the two years ahead of us leading up to the 2020 election. If uh, a majority of Americans don't take stock of and clearly see what's happening, the groundwork that's being laid by these Democrat, socialist, Marxist, communists to transform our country into a full-blown communist, fascist dictatorship. If, if, if a majority of Americans aren't with us in that perception and vote accordingly, then the gig is up, basically. We can only do what we can do, and uh, we'll see what happens. But yes, we first have to identify the threat identify the enemy and uh and and spread the word and that's what we're doing and you're doing a i want to touch i just i, I want to thank you thank for you. All, all that you do and i just got an email from uh a listener in canada actually listening someone i've known for quite some time and uh want to pass along thanks to you for uh, all that you do as well so just want to pass that to you well and of course we all appreciate not only i but the audience appreciate this forum which is uh, a leader of the pack now for uh, speaking truth, and truth shall not be silenced as long as we have this forum. Turning briefly to uh, the popular culture, because I happen to uh, see parts of, uh, this is going back a ways, well, just a week and a half, to the Super Bowl on February 3rd, and then this past Sunday, February 10th, the Grammy Awards. And, and there was a time when I used to, every year around this time, uh, watch and look forward to and watch the Grammy Awards because I've been a music lover all my life. And, of course, this time around, I could only take it in very small bits or, or look at some of the highlights later. Uh, well, let me mention the Super Bowl first. Anybody who saw the Super Bowl halftime show, Super Bowl 53, again, it was an ultimate in, in bread and circuses. But this one... I think more than any before was uh, the anointing of hip hop and rap at the forefront. The the ostensible rock group that was headlining at Maroon Five quickly welcomed special guest rappers Big Boy, that's spelled B I G B O I, and Travis. And uh, 
I don't know. As a music lover, I just, um, I, 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 well, I, I can't really say what I thought of it, but <laughs> anybody who wants to check that out, check it out and see, well, rap and hip hop are now the number one musical genre yeah. in the United States, if not the world. And again, I say, God help us. Now, the, the Grammys on uh, last Sunday, February 10th, that could have also been renamed the Hip Hop Rap Awards. First, we had Michelle Obama appearing, for what reason, I'm not sure, at the uh, stage, on stage, to a standing ovation and thunderous applause and approval. And um, Drudge Report very quickly headlined that, is she testing the waters for a potential 2020 run? Who, who knows? Then I also noted, because um, I'm interested in, in, uh, in classic Motown music, and... Um, I took note of uh, Diana Ross, uh, actually Diane Ross is her real name, but performing uh, a number uh, in recognition of her 75th birthday. And admittedly, she looks very good for 75. And assuming she was actually singing and not lip syncing, you know, she still has a voice. But she's presented in these forums looking like kind of a, a Gaia goddess, and uh, the audience, the, the hand-picked audience surrounding her performance, their arms are all raised. They're slow-waving in unison. And I, I don't know, is it me? I find this very, very disturbing where the music is almost inconsequential to the visual performance. I mean, if, if only she had performed one of her hits of, of the 60s, 70s, or 80s, but it was, in my opinion, a very inconsequential song that she was doing, which was completely overwhelmed by this, this hypnotic visual performance. And that is the norm now. When you watch these stupid award shows, uh, the leading performing individuals are presented often as kind of ethereal, godlike figures gods and goddesses something out of a spiritual realm and maybe that shouldn't be surprising because real religion real faith have been pushed out of the town square have been increasingly made culturally and politically inappropriate if not banned outright so the the impetus that everyone has deep down to worship something is now being directed at these hip-hop, rap, or rock gods and goddesses. And, you know, it's not only uh, Diana Ross or the people on last Sunday. I go back to 2012 when the rock group Coldplay performed at the Grammys that year in February 2012. And I happened to be in a hotel at that point with a uh, in, in my room. There was this gigantic... Uh, television flat screen high definition and showing this thing in hd and uh coldplay performed their grammy nominated song paradise interesting title and uh, it's a passably okay song in my opinion but again it was completely overwhelmed by the tour de force performance with flashing lights and strobes and pinpoint uh, points of lights, thousand points of lights illuminating the hall and just watching this thing in high definition, it's like it was absolutely hypnotic 
and uh, I don't know what else, but it was very, very disturbing, and I've actually never forgotten it. And and after the fact, I went and looked for the high-definition video of it on YouTube and watched it a couple of times just to further deconstruct it. And, uh, you know, this is the coin of the realm now on these award shows, and I guess on – I mean, I, I hardly ever watch – in fact, I virtually never watch primetime – broadcast television but this is what goes now with whatever's on in prime time even even the dramatic shows they make such an incredibly sophisticated use of the digital technology that it's 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 a mind numbing brainwashing mechanism and the books that were written about television 40 years ago for example Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television, which was written in 1977, are so out of date now because they were talking about the first 20 or 30 years of television when you had a large cathode ray tube and nothing digital about it. The editing was primitive. Uh, I mean, everything about it was, was primitive compared to now. And uh, when you actually take a look at it now, for those of us who often don't take much of a look at it at all, it's absolutely mind-boggling and very, very scary, in my opinion. You've done a good job of really laying that out, and and, uh, it's so important for people to realize that. You know, the subliminal stuff that we were subjected to back in the, what was it, late 60s, early 70s, early 70s, mid-70s, I'm not sure when it stopped, uh, whether, I don't think it has. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Has it, Peter? I mean... Is no. Well, Wilson Brian Key, I, I interviewed him once, although I never published. He wrote a series of books in the 60s and 70s. He was a pop academic. He's deceased now. He wrote a book called Subliminal Seduction. He, he had a really uh, uh, cutting-edge analysis and expertise on the nature of propaganda in the mainstream media, and he was building on the work of uh, people like Vance Packard, who wrote uh, The Hidden Persuaders in the 1950s, a very early book about the ability of the new media, radio and especially television, to sell and to brainwash the public. And, and uh, you know, I'm wondering, where, where, are the, where are the new books about this now? I mean, Patrick Wood is certainly doing his part, but... This is not a popular area for either academic inquiry or for even popular uh, nonfiction books. So we have to kind of do our own research in many of these cases. But, uh, you know, when you take a look at it, it, it is really crazy. Briefly, I, I wanted to comment on this um, abortion infanticide stuff and, and just reflect on something from my own experience, to drawing it back and taking a look back. Uh, in 1972, as I've mentioned before, I, I had a student press pass that allowed me to cover pretty much anything I wanted in Washington, D.C., and even nationally. So I covered the campaign for the presidency that year, both in the primaries and the fall campaign. And about a decade ago, I discovered and started to listen to some of the original audio recordings I have, I, I say, managed to save most of them, you know, speeches by the leading politicians, then mostly Democrats, because Nixon wasn't really challenged that year. He was the incumbent. 
So there were a bunch of Democrats running, and I interviewed some of them, or I went to their rallies, recorded speeches. And do you know that in 1972, when the question of abortion came up, and all of these candidates, whether it was McGovern, Hubert Humphrey, um, uh, who was the vice president, uh, Muskie, Edward Muskie, uh, who was running that year, uh, whenever they were asked about abortion, they didn't want to commit to it. They were like, well... You know, this is, uh, you know, they, they didn't want to really address it because a majority of Americans were not in support of it. Well, overnight, the next January, shortly after the November 1972 election reelected Nixon, the United States Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade upended the law overnight and abortion was legalized nationwide. And that set off the Democrats on this now 40-plus year campaign, which has finally reached the infanticide level. But but what really struck me when I started listening to these tapes from back in the day, 1972, which was literally 6 to 12 months before Roe v. Wade, the Democrat leftist politicians of that era wanted nothing to do with uh, encouraging or supporting or advocating abortion on demand. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, it, it is. And look at, uh, I, I like to use the comparison or use the, uh, uh, what I heard from Bill Clinton in the nineties, where they talked about the, the necessary, the necessity for abortions and how, uh, uh, really rarely they should be used only in cases where the mother is in danger of dying or serious health-related complications. Safe, legal, and rare was their right, buzzword. Exactly. Safe, legal, and rare. And in just, what, 25 years, we went from safe, legal, and rare to let's kill babies who've already been born and let's celebrate it. And if you don't agree with that, then you are the one with the problem. <sighs> This is what really gives me no hope for society and humanity in general when we see how far this rapid decay has developed just in the last 25 years. What's it going to look like in 25 more years? That's the question. Well, you know, people, a lot of my correspondents, they ask me, and of course I ask myself, uh, what can we do? And as I've said before, information, we're in the business of information. We do what we can to spread that information and prayer and there's not time tonight but i've i've got some talking points i'll get to monday on the power of prayer because this is something i studied uh starting in 1992 when i was appointed to do two of the first advisory panels of the national institutes of health's office of alternative medicine which is still going strong at a, and, and now they've increased their budget to over, I think, $100 million a year, and I'm a critic of it now. But in those early days, that office identified prayer and healing as one of the most popular modalities in all of alternative or natural healing field. And in the 1980s, there were some studies on prayer and healing, as well as in the 1990s. And I did some research and writing for the popular press about that. So when I say to my friends and to anyone within the sound of my voice, share the information and pray like your life depended on it, because it does, there is power in that prayer, demonstrable power, power. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All of it has been confirmed in academia, so we'll maybe have a chance to get into that on Monday at Looking 9 p.m. Eastern. Looking forward to it. We are absolutely out of time, Peter. And uh, this is going to be a hard cutoff because we have no Eric the Tech. So God bless you, folks. Till tomorrow. All right. Good night.